Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre or normal or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I've got soap and I'm not afraid to use it. We are continuing on with the 2001 Fort Year, which is totally living up to its name because I think about and I look at the spreadsheet, Zach, how many movies we've already done in this series and how many movies we have left to go. (laughs) I am delighted. Delighted. No, no. I mean, I'm not against it as well. I'm a little bit happier that we're out of uh, Shrek world. Uh, I guess we should say that, you know, we're still going strong. We did lose our minds last week with Pearl Harbor, but we're we're recuperated now. At least I am. We took some time off from recording. I don't know about Zach. He might have watched Pearl Harbor again when I was away. But I, I think never I'm... stopped watching Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Do you throw it on in the background and you just run around your house going, vroom, vroom? <laughs> I say, God damn it, Danny, get me into a plane. <laughs> so so we're we're back from that. We've survived. Uh, we figured we, we shouldn't end on the episode where we rebrand the Patreon to Cinemodities Plus. And we are here to talk about good old 2D animation. I guess technically 2D. I'm sure we'll talk about some of the 3D elements and computer imagery and stuff like that in this movie. But it is Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Good old Disney. So you might think, if you didn't listen to our Shrek episode, you might think we've already covered an animated Disney movie. But no, no, no. This is our first for this series. Not our first ever, because we've done the Aristocats and probably some others that I'm forgetting, but we are here to discuss Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Are you excited, Zach? I'm fairly excited for this one. This, is, this should be a good one. I'm rock hard, Rob. Ooh. <laughs> See, are you crystal hard, though? <laughs> mm, I do. Uh, we will have fun when we talk about Merchandise Spotlight. Like Merchandise Spotlight for this is going to be a lot of fun. But we'll say that. Okay, okay. So so I guess uh, I, I don't think I have anything uh, to say at the start. Do you want to uh, jump into some context? Because I think uh, my context is pretty limited and connected to Zach as, as related to something he mentioned before we started recording. But I did want to say there's something I don't know if you're aware of, Zach. When I sat down to watch this however many days ago, and I, and I did watch Atlantis The Lost Empire, and then I also watched the making of Atlantis The Lost Empire – Five times, I think. Uh, Zach was hounding me to watch that documentary. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But he was he was just making me watch that documentary. Like the closest thing to the next best thing to having a gun to my head. Zach wanted me to watch this documentary. But Zach, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. When I watched this a few days ago, it was the first time I had ever seen it. So I have finally now seen Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I've always been aware of it, though. That's the thing. I've always known about this movie, um, I think, because of some of the history that Zach's going to get into, if we're thinking about the same thing. Um, I know that I had some, like, McDonald's Happy Meal toys related to this movie that I never understood because I didn't see it. But more recently... Um, I'm aware of Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and I guess the the somewhat sister movie, uh, or maybe rival movie, I don't know, Treasure Planet, because those two Disney films have always been desired by the community to appear in Kingdom Hearts games, and they never have. But I've always heard it's like, oh, Kingdom Hearts whatever is coming out, maybe we'll get our Treasure Planet world, maybe we'll get our Atlantis, The Lost Empire world, but we never did, of course. Um, Because why have those when you can have Big Hero 6? (laughs) Oh, God, Big Hero 6 is a nightmare. 
So I had never seen this movie, and I finally got to watch it. And I, when I watched it, the the movie itself I only saw once. Like I said, I watched the documentary twelve times. I have to say, this is a pretty good movie. There was a lot I loved about it, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I was uh, pleasantly surprised that I wasn't, you know, just like, oh man, here's an early 2000s Disney film, another Disney animated, uh, right at the cusp of when they were switching away from this this type of style of animation. But I thought it was pretty good. So that's my context that I finally caught up after all these years with Atlantis, the Lost Empire. And I'm, I'm sure that someone out there is happy. Uh, this doesn't get memed as much as Shrek. I don't think this gets as much internet love, but I've certainly seen some internet love for this movie. And uh, I appreciate this one a lot more than Shrek. So, Zach, please explain to our audience how I think one time... We were at a mall with my mother, yes. and you were trying to buy yes. this movie. I think yes. that's, that's what I, my that. note. My note is literally, I'm pretty sure there was a time that Zach and I were at a mall with my mother. Not the Galleria, but one of the ones we had to travel to, like Dan Barry or the Palisades, and Zach was looking for it at a Barnes & Noble. How accurate oh am God. I to your memory? Oh, my God, Rob. I love it. Um, <laughs> do you remember why we were at the Palisades Mall, though? It had for a to movie, be it's seen. for a movie that we – yes. Was it Inception? No. It, yes, Rob. Was that yes, Rob? Because okay. we went to the Palisades to see Inception because we wanted to see that in IMAX. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes, you know, Rob. My other oh my thought God. was it could have been. See, I was conflating it with the time that we were sold tickets to the other guys after it had started, but that wasn't in a mall. That was in a separate, its own Danbury. theater, right? That, okay, was in, okay. that was in Danbury. So, yeah, I remember this. Fairly, but see, this is where I need you to fill in, Zach. I don't remember. If you found Atlantis or not on this trip, so please, the floor is I, yours. Okay, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll okay, we'll circle back to that idea okay. momentarily. But I was I also thinking about asking my mom if she remembered this, uh, but I'm pretty sure if oh, I she asked her this, she would have said, "Who the fuck is what? Zach?" <laughs> <laughs> you mean that weirdo that your father parks in front of when he's trying to do work, do his job. <laughs> That guy who he liked to frustrate after all those years of high school, he wouldn't go away. That kid your father cre- tried to vehicular manslaughter? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Rob. Exactly. Uh, but no, context. I remember this movie in the summer of 2001. As we all know, this was the summer to end all summers. I remember because like, and this is going to be like, – Rob's going to have so much fun bleeping this like a thousand freaking times. I think. But this is <laughs> – yes. But this is going to be one of those movies that ties heavily into my <laughs> – nephew i have to switch up the adjective because it's fun because i keep saying i kept saying the word i think people figure that out eventually so now we're gonna say the word because it's just a fun word to say um (laughs) but (laughs) yes i'm I'm okay Uh, with this because when it gets bleeped out it all sounds the same but at least this will keep it interesting for while we're talking about it i don't know do you want to go far maybe you'll say at a certain point (laughs) I, I can't. I, I don't know definitively on that, so I'm afraid to kind of like like walk into that realm. Sure. Because I, I I don't know either way. Like remember, Rob, we want to be accurate on cinema. Like we don't want to sit there just like say these things arbitrarily. I missed that memo about accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> no, at least for me. At least no, Rob. When it comes to me and my family. So no. So basically, what happened was that in the summer of 2001, I remember this film vividly. Because like any sort of like kid that watched like Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney goddamn like just advertised the living daylights out of it. And it just didn't do anything for me. Like this is also a time too where like I would go on Metacritic.com a lot, like read the reviews for things. And the reviews for the most part were okay from like from what my under again, like, this is not I'm not trying to be factually accurate now. Just, like, I mean like based on my memory from two thousand. Sure. 
Like it just, I remember like the reviews just being very, very mediocre for this film. And I remember like my nephew, like really wanted to see it. And remember how they be like, cause I think it was like, like one of those days, like he was over at the house and like, so what do you like, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to see Atlantis. My mother like looks at me and like, eh. I'm like, eh. <laughs> like, like little old like like eight year old me was like, eh, I don't like parts of this movie. Um, but he liked it for some reason. Like he really wanted to see it for a reason. Like to this day, I have like no idea as to why. Um, I remember because this was like back obviously back in June. Because even though this episode will be coming out in May, this film didn't really get like like basically any sort of like wide release. Because this was back when Disney did this really weird thing where like they would open their animated films in like limited release in a couple cities, and where it gets like that big like like dollars like average, being like, oh wow, like look at this. And so, but it didn't really hit like like wide release until June. Mm-hmm. And like I just remember. Like just being like, no, I want no parts of this. But I remember we actually came up to New York for vacation. We visit my grandmother in August of 2001, and they had a bunch of the merchandise. They had a bunch of the, like the McDonald's toys. And one thing that I always liked the from the commercials was the ship. I think it's called the Ulysses in the actual film. Yeah, that they yeah. they it's in the film for maybe a grand total of what a minute. I combined screen time because it pretty much gets destroyed immediately. Yeah, I didn't look in. I didn't look at the timestamp when it appeared, but the ship blows up at the twenty-five minute mark. <laughs> yeah, it was a big. It was a really big part of the marketing. Like, wow! Like, look at this ship. Like, they're, like they're going on expedition to Atlantis, and it pretty much like just shows up and gets destroyed like immediately. Yes, but I just as a kid, I just love the design of that. So like, I remember like looking for toys of it. I know like McDonald's had stuff of it, and I remember like I think one like the only piece of merchandise I got of this film in two thousand one was one of the like mini sub pods that like shoots the torpedoes at the giant scorpion like submarine Mm -hmm. or whatever robo scorpion. Like I don't even like watching it for this recording. I'm like I don't even know what the hell this is, (laughs) but I but I remember my nephew loved the like scorpion like machine. And so I remember like telling him like, oh, like they have them in New York. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I already have the big one that like whoever was making the toys this for. I'm like at the time, just like because I told like, I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes, like him and I were always in this contest. Yeah. And to who could have the most amount of stuff for some reason. And he always even as like a six year old was always a pompous SOB. Um, like I said, he's like, I haven't heard anything about him in like over a year. Like from what my understanding is, he still is a horrible person. I just don't know how much of a horrible person he is. Okay. okay. Um, but even like when he was just like, God, like seven years old, he was still, like, he was just a horrible person. But yeah, so that was my main memory of it. And pretty much after that, like that in like August of 2001, I kind of forgot about the movie. Like it was just kind of like, okay, like whatever. Until around like 2006, I was doing something where I came across like an ad like online for like the McDonald's toys. And one of the things I absolutely loved was like I guess it was like in combination of like Yu-Gi-Oh! If Rob remembers his Yu-Gi-Oh! history, there was the TV series arc of like the seal of Ori Kalkos. Sure. If Rob remembers, I once used my fake card that I printed off the internet <laughs> against him, and Rob to this day still owns my soul. Like spoiler alert, Rob owns my soul. because <laughs> um, I used that card and still lost. Um, but like I like I bought one of the McDonald's toys for the like little like shard of crystal. I think that's I, the one I had was the little like light up. I think it lit up the little crystal. Yes, necklace yes, it does. Thing. Yeah, yes, it does. Well, it did. It doesn't light up anymore. Unfortunately, <laughs> the battery gave out and there's no way to replace the battery. Now it uh, says, hi, my name is Shrek when I hit the button. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, Rob, it says the donkey say. That's what it says. <laughs> um, no, because I actually still have it like in my hand. It's been hanging like above, like it's part of like my like weird necklace collection, like combined with like Yugi's uh, Millennium Puzzle, mm-hmm. the uh, the key from Davy or Davy Jones's key from Pirates of the Caribbean, and I had this. And so I got this in 2006, and then really my next memory for this was in 2010 when Rob and I went to go see Inception. We walked around the Palisades Mall, and I bought the DVD from a Barnes & Noble because this was the time still when, like, Disney put things back in the vault. And there really was no way to watch this unless, like, of course, you always get it from a library. But where's the fun in that? And I got it. And I remember watching it for the first time ever, like, in 2010 and being severely underwhelmed by just how bland this movie is (laughs) and how there's really nothing exciting about it and how it's just the definition of just boilerplate, despite how fantastical it's trying to be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really – I kind of just – not that I forgot about this film. It always will have a place in my heart based on just 2001's nostalgia. But – it kind of was just there until the fort year because obviously it's a staple being the like official Disney release of 2001 being like their main like animation like tentpole. It's more or less like again we'll get into like the pop culture where it's place in pop culture is but like yeah it kind of just like for the last decade plus has been a, like more or less just a film that's just kind of been like almost like a hibernation stasis for me. Okay okay yeah this is I know this is never one that you've talked a lot about in terms of Disney. Um, and like I said, I'd never seen it until a few days ago, just been aware of it. I, I don't think we'll ever cover it, or if we do cover it, it won't be anytime soon. But do you have like similar thoughts about how it just passed you by, you don't care too much for it, for Treasure Planet, which what comes out the year after this, I think? It comes out – I have – okay. I, I want to say the Treasure Planet context because I actually just watched that film for the first time like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Be- because of Blank Check because they covered it. Yeah, I know. We and... talked about – they did Musker and Clements, and I've never been less interested in – listening to that podcast <laughs> uh but no i watched treasure planet and i really enjoyed it like i wouldn't say i loved it but i enjoyed it i have no idea if i would have liked it in december or whatever, like november december 2002 okay but i as a 28 year old man i enjoyed it like, like, like sitting like on my couch watching it i'm like this is neat like this is fun um i i wish disney would once again try to go back to doing something a little bit outside the norm yeah. where we're just not getting like another Frozen, like a Moana, which is just boilerplate like Disney musical film. It's funny. I crap a lot on Moana and I've never seen it. Fun fact, <laughs> like I was at work and I was like putting away like shopping carts and I found a little Moana toy and now like it's on my desk at work. <laughs> it's funny. Like I, 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 just, I can, if you listen to this podcast, you know I crap on Moana every single chance I get. And yet now I have a little Moana on my desk. You know, I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> um, but no, like I go, I think treasure planet is the objectively better film Okay, because it feels like real characters. The problem with Atlantis is that it's just, I just don't know what it wants to be. It's just, sure. like, it, it wants to be an action adventure film. Like I've never seen a film try so hard at being a genre. I've just never yeah. seen a film just want to be like, we're action, we're adventure. Where's the characters? Where is like the moments? Where's all this action adventure? And then like as Rob knows, like in the behind the scenes documentary, they're like their like mantra was less music, like less musical numbers, more explosions. Yep. And I think that sums up every single problem with this film. It's just trying so hard to not be Disney. It forgets that it's trying to be a movie that's entertaining. 
Yeah, yeah, I know where you're coming from, exactly. And li- like I said, I-, I love a lot about this movie, but I don't think I love this movie. Uh, w- and I want to do, I do want to get into that, of course, as we will. But we have to talk about just the concept of Atlantis, a lost city slash island slash continent. Nobody seems to have any idea what it is because it's fictional. It's like dinosaurs. It's not real. So this is the thing that got me. It's like, we... Everybody knows about Atlantis, right? Like, this is the thing that blew me away is I, you know, I've known about this yeah. movie. Rob, of course we know about Atlantis. Jason Momoa rules <laughs> over it with a three-pronged trident over a five-pronged trident because he had to stop <laughs> yes. Patrick Wilson in, a, in like, what's her name? Orm? Julie Andrews is a job. I movie? don't know who that, I don't know what you're talking about. That's gibberish. <laughs> All I know is that Julie Andrews is like a giant Kraken monster that Jason Momoa rides. Like, that's all you need to know. That's what Atlantis is at the end of the day. <laughs> can, can she be Orm? <laughs> I don't... I, okay, real, I think I've mentioned this before on Cinema, but one of my favorite, favorite vindictive moments in Hollywood history is that they make Mary Poppins returns. Julie Andrews, like, like, on, like on paper, it's like, oh, no, like, I don't want to be in it because I don't want to take away from Emily Blunt. And then, like, uh, they're like, they asked her for a cameo, and she's like, fuck you. I'm going to be the giant Kraken <laughs> monster in Aquaman that comes out the exact same, like, weekend. Yes. That's how vindictive Julie Andrews is. And she's like, fuck you for trying to recast the role that will always be mine because yeah. Disney's just, like, creatively bankrupt. She's like, no. I'm going to be an Aquaman as the Kraken. I'm just like, you know what, Julie Andrews? <laughs> Vindictive game, 100%. Like, oh, you got yeah. it. But yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. But yeah, no, Atlantis, no, that, no, Atlantis no. the uh, mythological thing. Yeah, that, no, but you bring up, you bring up uh, Aquaman, which is, of course, the modern example, because I was thinking about it as, well, I have no clue when the first time I learned about the concept of Atlantis was. And it's one of those things where it's just a legend that has existed in my brain and in seemingly everybody's brain. Like, you go up to anybody, like our age I'm talking about, you say Atlantis, they're going to know what you're talking about. It's like Bigfoot. Like, everybody knows what Bigfoot is, what vampires are, what Atlantis is. It's it's for some reason become, like, this mainstay in, in the culture of, of legends or something like that. And I, I was thinking, well, well, my first thought was, well, do people today, you know, maybe younger generations still know about Atlantis? And I said, well, of course, we have Aquaman, like you mentioned. Like, that whole thing is based on Atlantis, the sunken city. And I find Atlantis so interesting that, you know, it's just another legend that everybody everybody knows about like i would say you're hard pressed to find anybody that doesn't know what atlantis is where of course there's certain like things in you know mythology whether it be cryptozoology or legends that people might not know but atlantis is up there like with bigfoot like with werewolves and stuff like that and it's kind of strange to me or it is strange to me that atlantis is in that category when i feel like there's no real reason for it to be where in the context of, like, you know, Bigfoot, Dracula, vampires, uh, werewolves, there's been more stuff about that. Like, there's been vampire movies forever. There's been werewolf movies forever. And I know there's been other Atlantis movies than this Disney film, but I, I don't know. I find it so weird that it's like Atlantis is up there with, like, it, it plays with the big boys of in terms of mythology. But it's kind of like the same thing as the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot I would put in the category of 
people know about those because they're so absolutely ridiculous. Like the Loch Ness Monster, people are like, there's this monster in a lake and the monster's bigger than the lake. And it's, it's so ridiculous that people like to make fun of it. Do you have any idea, would you be able to remember, you think, where you heard about Atlantis for the first time or how you were introduced to it? If, I, I don't know. I can't give you a specific instance. It's so difficult, but if, right? <laughs> but, if, but if I had to guess where like, it became this thing that like, I was really genuinely aware of, it was probably this movie from 2001 okay. Okay. where it was like I, I, if I had even a faint understanding of it, this movie was probably the one that kind of bridged that gap. If I had to guess. OK, OK. The other thing I thought of was Little Mermaid, which I know is not strictly Atlantis. I think it's called Atlantica. Oh, uh, OK. And OK. I, if, if you put it that way, then maybe. I then don't maybe. know. I don't remember. I haven't seen Little Mermaid in so long. Uh, that I don't remember exactly, but I don't think there's anything like there's no prologue of the Little Mermaid film where it's like, oh, this is a sunken city. Like I think it's just an underwater city. But well, this is well, this is my question though. This goes back to like more mythology. Is that like you have what King Trident? Yes, and it's like okay, is he connected at all? Like that's the thing though. It's like Neptune. Like like, like that's the thing. Like we've come to a point now where pop culture has kind of blurred the lines yeah. so much when it comes to like mythology. And that's the thing where it's like, okay, you have Neptune, King Trident, like, and clearly King Trident is based off Neptune, mm-hmm. the Greek god. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing where it's like, okay, like, and I think that's what you're getting at. It's like, it's just almost like, like a melting pot where like, yeah. it'd be almost impossible for at least our generation to distill where we our first instance of this came from. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and I think that's a lot of legends are like that. Like, I don't, I mean. I can't do like I, when's when did I learn about Bigfoot? I have no idea, but I've seemingly known about Bigfoot my entire life. It's one of those things that it's like it seems like you're born with this information, which is very strange to me. But that's a that's a whole discussion for another day. But the, that's the thing that interests me is that well, I've always known about Atlantis, and the um the thing that sticks in my mind with reference to Atlantis is if you remember, there's a very small joke in Freak Zack when they're going through the tunnel from the Freak Shed to Elijah C. Scuggs Laboratory and the wall of the tunnel breaks away and they're like I think Ernie's like, it's the lost city of Atlantis, but then it turns into a giant viewfinder. Lord, it's the lost city of Nod. Wow. It's old faithful. Ooh. It's my Aunt Gertie and Uncle Sid. Oh. It's my bar mitzvah! Come on, Ernie, let's go. Wait, wait, you gotta see the one where Rabbi Katz laughed so hard noodle pudding came out his nose. It was huge! And that, that joke exists because people know what Atlantis is, and that's very interesting to me. But, so, when I was, after I watched this movie and I was doing my research, there was a few things that popped up in this movie where I was like, oh, is this, does this have something to do with the actual myth of Atlantis? And I did some research, and they talk about some of that in the documentary about how they combined a lot of, you know, theories about Atlantis to get the lore and the mythology of this movie, which, of course, they would do. They would do their research. But one of the things, you know, like I said, I've always been aware of Atlantis, but I never knew that it originated from Plato. And they say this in the movie. I think, you know, uh, Milo in his opening scene says something like, you know, Plato theorized or or wrote about uh, Atlantis sometime, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, is that true? And apparently it is. And so in like 360 B.C., 
or however they date that stuff. Plato wrote about Atlantis, but it's not, he didn't see Atlantis. It's a retelling of someone else's account of translating Egyptian tales about Atlantis from hundreds of years earlier. Um, but I, I thought that was, that was interesting. But I dug more into Atlantis because I was really into like the, the why do we know about it thing. And I found some interesting stuff about Atlantis I wanted to bring up. One that I had never heard of about Atlantis before is that apparently the Atlantis legend worked its way into Nazi doctrines. Do you know anything about the relationship between Nazism and Atlantis, Zach? (laughs) Other than just like the Nazis and Hitler were obsessed with the occult? Yes. No. Okay, so apparently, according to the Nazis, Atlantis was the birthplace of the master race and was a superior society. And I was reading about this and I was like, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, but then when I was reading about this almost immediately, everything that you find about this says, well, this is in direct contradiction to what we do think about Atlantis, which is also crazy to me that people are like, well, if it did exist, it would have been non-Caucasian people and an inferior society. And I'm like, okay, I guess we just don't want the Nazis to be right about Atlantis. <laughs> because it's like that OJ book. If I did do it, this is how I would have happened. Where people after World War II were like, well, if Atlantis was real, it wouldn't have been uh, inhabited by Nazis. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was crazy. But yeah, of course, if you read about the occult and Nazism, there's so much there. And apparently Atlantis worked its way in as well, which is fascinating. But I found something else that is much more uh, pertinent to Cinemodities. One, it introduced me to something that I'd never heard about. Or if I have heard about it, I've since forgotten. In 2003, there was a TV show that lasted for 13 episodes called I'm with Busey. Do you know anything about this show, Zach? Yes, Rob. I'm okay. Aware. Oh God. I, I, okay. If, if you have your Cinematis bingo card <laughs> and had in the Atlantis, the Lost Empire episode that we would get into Gary the Busey. Gary Busey TV <laughs> show from the mid two thousands, please come forward and collect your prize. Yes. I yes. never would have anticipated this to come up, but continue, Rob. So, so of course we love Gary Busey. Um, he's a he's a crazy, wonderful man. And apparently in an episode of the show I'm with Busey, which the premise is Gary Busey is basically like teaching this other dude about the world and like life lessons and stuff. In this show, apparently there's an episode where Gary Busey states that Atlantis existed 10,556 years ago. Like he is that specific. And that the Egyptian pyramids were an Atlantean experiment to connect the energy of Earth to other planets. But the experiment went wrong and altered human DNA for the worst, greatly reducing their lifespan. Mm, I hate when that happens. Which is bafflingly insane because I think if we know anything from our our science about history, human lifespan has only ever increased. Like we have no evidence that there was a point when human lifespan was longer than it is now and then it dropped drastically. (laughs) So I found that very interesting. But of course, if you do any research into I'm with Busey, the show – there is a lot of stuff that says, you know, it's not really, like, totally like a reality show or something. Like, there was some script and ad-libbing, and and it seemed like Gary Busey was certainly playing into, like, the crazy person or persona he, he became after his accident. But if you dig further, in actual interviews not related to the show... When people ask Gary Busey about his accident and about, like, how, you know, he came through through it and all that stuff, he has stated many times in interviews, seemingly very seriously, that in one of his past lives, he was an inhabitant of Atlantis. (laughs) Rightfully so. Exactly. If there's anybody that I think 
could have been a person or an inhabitant or an Atlantean, if we want to use that term, it wouldn't be the Nazis. It would be a race of Gary Buseys. <laughs> exactly. That's what, that's what happened to Jake Busey. We, should, we forgot to mention that in our Starship Troopers episode. And I don't, I don't know if I disagree completely with uh, the Nazis. Maybe I do think that the people who inhabited Atlantis were the master race. Were they Aryans? No. They were just a race of Gary Buseys. I think everybody can agree Gary Busey is the master race, right? <laughs> damn straight so i thought that was absolutely uh fantastic that gary Busey has a connection to atlantis i need to check out this i'm with Busey show it sounds wonderful uh the last episode apparently andy dick shows up so i'll have to check this out and get back to it um it's on my list of shows to check out which i still haven't watched shasta mcnasty that came up earlier in the fort year but now this is on the list with it but yeah, Atlantis, I, I find it fascinating. It's one of those things where it's like, well, why does anybody care about this? At the heart of it, I don't think it's that interesting. City sunk. That's it. Like, vampire is more interesting to me. Bigfoot's more interesting, maybe because it seems so ridiculous and there's a lot of crazy theories. Like, I love the Bigfoot theory where people are like, yeah, there are actually like thousands of Bigfoots all over the world, but they're so good at hiding that we've never found them and they have like watchtowers where they look out for humans and then hide. And I, But Atlantis seems so ridiculous to me. It's like, yeah, there's a city and it sank. So, okay. But apparently it's stuck with the culture and we get a Disney movie from it. So Atlantis, The Lost Empire... Uh, is all about Atlantis, or I guess maybe half. They find it like the 40-minute mark or something. Um, but anything you want to say about Atlantis? Do you like the Atlantis like mythos or anything like that? Is it your favorite? Am I, am I stepping on your toes by saying I don't think it's that interesting? Uh, not really. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think, I've never been amused by that. Like, I agree with you. I find like, like the creatures, like cryptozoological creatures, more interesting than like yeah. the idea of like, oh... Yeah, I, I've never been – it kind of goes like hand-in-hand with the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. Is it like I just don't care? Like to me, Atlantis – like I, I think the imagery of a sunken city is fun. Oh, sure. Like I think like the idea of it's like, oh, like having the city just like underwater, um, I find that very like mentally like stimulating. But like, oh, if like if we were to discover it, I'd be like, oh, that's neat. Like that's great. Like it's an accomplishment to mankind. It's kind yeah. of like when they discovered that the city of Troy was real. It wasn't just – this mythological creation mm-hmm. it's neat like it's it, it's it's like cool <laughs> moving yeah. on it doesn't affect me on a personal level it's yeah kinda it like definitely Bigfoot. needs something like if they found atlantis and it turned out that it was inhabited by like a bunch of chupacabras then i'd be more on board. <laughs> <laughs> okay can we please talk about going back to our unsolved mystery series like from three years ago the fact that I did not find the Chupacabra segment and insert that somewhere in there is one of those things that will always drive me nuts on Cinemodity. Like that will always infuri- infuriate me that I did not dig that up. I think I mentioned it in that series. I think like, so. the fact that we, yeah. It's mentioned. Like it drives me nuts that we didn't talk about that. Oh, I mean um, I love yeah. the whole Chupacabra thing. I mean even the, the Unsolved Mystery segment, I, I love the – um. there's probably more than one, but the one I've seen, the Mysteries at the Museum Chupacabra segment, there's a part where Don Wildman's like – some theor- some people think that like a like a wild wolf fucked a dog and created an abomination of earth <laughs> and that might be the chupacabra and I'm like whoa okay where's that in a museum <laughs> That's what I mean like the creatures like whether it be the mothman mm-hmm. to me the creatures are infinitely more interesting than like these like lost cities like even yeah. like when we talk about like Noah like Noah's ark like Noah's ark it's like if oh did it exist great if it didn't 
oh well, it's kind of like it makes no difference to me on a personal level. Yeah, I would agree. I'm I'm into the creatures, like I said, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, Chupacabra. Um, I love like what the, like there's like that gnome in in Brazil or something. I think there's like a gnome running around, gnome of Girona or something like that. It, mm-hmm. That's fun. Like that's the stuff I can go down a rabbit hole on Wikipedia, and I think it's probably because clearly it's all. It's some form of just, like, fun nonsense where it's like if you want to go down the rabbit hole of Atlantis, you're going to have to get to, oh, Plato wrote this in the in 360 B.C. and then someone wrote this in the year 200. And it seems there's way too much actual, like, grounding where I just want to be like, look at this shitty cell phone video of a gnome. Isn't that crazy? And that's way more interesting to me. Or someone being like, I think I shot the Mothman, but I accidentally shot an endangered species of owl. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, that, Well, my favorite thing is that, like, think about it. Like, how many, how many years ago that, like, we would sit there and have, like, all this stuff, like, oh, man, like, we have Bigfoot, though. It's like this, like, shaky, like, VHS camera that has, like, what, 240p resolution. Yeah. And now that everybody has, like, like, a 4K camera, like, in their pocket, we don't get any of that anymore. Like, that does not, like, like nobody's, like, like getting Bigfoot pictures anymore. Nobody mm-hmm. is getting, like, any sort of, like, mythological creature footage. And I just find that fascinating. Like, clearly, yeah. like, 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 it was all a farce, like, like, when it came to, like, these people claiming to have, like, footage of it. But I love now that, like, that's just non-existent. Now that we have, like, these cameras that record in super-duper HD in our pockets at any given time. Um, yeah. yeah, it is I, It is a bummer. I wish we it's had comical. more. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think that's also some of the because like you said, it is a lot of it is a farce, and there, there's even stuff where like people fake photos and whatnot, and they admit it, and they explain how they did it, but they're still defenders. Like I love the story of I think it's the Cottingley Fairies, where somewhere in Britain these kids like have they had a few photos, like three or four photos of them like with pixie fairy type creatures, like in the actual photos, and they spread it around as a hoax, and they all admitted it was a hoax, and they like explained how they did it with like photography tricks. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes fame is like, nope, fairies are real, and I will die on that hill, and it's the craziest thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's weird how, like, how like over time, and this is getting really far off from Atlantis, the Lost Empire, we have to kind of, like, circle back to it. But it's very odd how, and arbitrary how, like, mankind has just kind of picked and choose, chosen, like, what we believe in. Oh, yeah, and, like, yeah. Especially now we become inherently more skeptical as a culture. Like that as well. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. We're more skeptical. Um, it's the the inundation of information that we have. It just makes everybody question everything more. But I also do like the kind of reverse of it, though, where people think that they're mythical creatures, and then eventually they end up being real. Like I think the giant squid is that story where everybody's like, "That's where the Kraken myth comes from." And then it's like, "Oh no, shit! If we look deep enough, there actually are giant squids that look like the Kraken." And then what the the coelacanth, the fish, people are like, "This is a myth. This is extinct or something." And then they just find a bunch of them eventually <laughs> yeah it's really like, cool there's a lot of like ignorance and arrogance of man like sprinkled in with all this like that's you have to learn how to kind of separate the two like there's a difference mm-hmm. between like the arrogance of man and then like things that just like probably don't exist and that just like it's like 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 legends of lore, like uh, lore yes yes yeah it, that's yeah that's all very interesting and i think maybe that's why i personally enjoy those stories more because you have all these different takes on it 
Like, I mean, even the we talked about Little Mermaid, the whole mermaid thing is like sailors think mermaids and sirens exist. And then the prevailing theory nowadays is like, no, they just saw manatees. And it's like, oh, maybe. I don't know. People are pretty stupid. Maybe they think of manatee as a person with a with a fin for, you know, a bottom. Where when you look at something like Atlantis, it's just like, yeah, it's a it's a place just underwater, I guess. Maybe there's some interest Mm -hmm. to people who think it's lost, but that doesn't really interest me as well. So I don't know, but there's definitely a difference where there's more to play with, I think, more like thought experiments to be done with the creatures, with the cryptozoology, where you can't just have a thought experiment like about Atlantis. You need to combine something like with this crystal, the heart of Atlantis, like they do in this movie with, you know, the, the, the difference from the human world. It seems like it needs to be more fleshed out where there's something just innately fun to me about be like, yeah, I was driving in Brazil and I saw a gnome. (laughs) 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 That's just so much more fun to me. I think. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, that just seems to be the the way of things right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so get on the audience. Get on Bigfoot photos or something. I don't know. <laughs> Goddamn right. Goddamn right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like going back to this movie though. So like, I, I this is the thing. So like, watching this movie in preparation for this recording, um, I, I, I think Rob and I have talked about it. Maybe I'm not sure. We've definitely talked about it off the record, but maybe the first time on Cinemodies is that like when it comes to like Disney remaking everything because they're creatively bankrupt, mm-hmm. it's the idea that like this is just one of those movies that like I'm like, why not? Just roll sure. the dice on it. But I think their issue is that like they're afraid that once again it goes banned, it goes back to like brand perception. And this, they know the the water is so tainted when it comes to the concept of Disney and Atlantis. I'm like, if you want to sit there and do a Disney movie, just call it Indiana Jones and the Lost Empire. Sure. And it's a remake of this. Like, if you were to take the character of, like, Milo and make him Indiana Jones and take all the attributes that come with Indiana Jones, perfect. Yep. That's all you need. Like, just, like, like, take out the character of the grandfather figure and make it Sean Connery's character. Oh, that's yeah. all you. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. And I'm like, it'd be a perfect vehicle. Recast like Harrison Ford because I do not want to see an 80 year old Indiana Jones. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to see an 80 year old Indiana Jones. Like I remember when we were in high school, Rob. This is when Rob and I first got to know each other, and we were talking. Like it was right when Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. We used to make jokes, being like, "Oh, the fifth Indiana Jones is going to be called." Indiana Jones in the nursing home. <laughs> yep. And it's like, oh God, like in 2021, does anybody want an 80 year old Harrison Ford Indiana Jones? Like, I don't care how big of a man child you are. I don't want that. Like, sure. would well, I like to see him cameo in it? Of course. Like, yeah. if he's still alive, why not? But like, I don't want to see that. Like, like, go cast an actor, whether you go, like, go the like Alden Ehrenreich route. Not specifically him, but just like, okay, we're going to recast or we're going to basically get like a glorified impersonator of Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. Whatever you decide to do, I do not want to see Harrison Ford as that character. Like that's not what Indiana Jones is as a character at the end of the day. It's about – it's just like – it's exploration. It's action adventure. Like it's kind of like like, like Indiana Jones should now be like morphing into like the uh, the James Bond model where it's the concept of the character as opposed to the actor as the character. Sure. I completely agree with that. This is a perfect transition that. point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would love if you know we had a cameo from Harrison Ford. I think that would be great fun, especially because I think that it, it would be – you know, I'm thinking of like the scene in Blade Runner 2049. Don't extend it where he becomes a part of the story, but like have like maybe somewhere in the movie – Whoever the new Indiana Jones type is, 
where they like find the actual Indiana Jones and it's old Harrison Ford and the new character wants them to come on the adventure something and we get old Harrison Ford saying like I can't do this I'm too old I belong in a museum now or something like that I think that'd be great fun and then we just get another adventure because that to me is what Indiana Jones has always been about and I'm glad you bring it up because I definitely got that sense with this movie with the whole exploration and like you know they're they're getting down to the um to the actual Atlantis and facing obstacles along the way it's just a sense of adventure. That's all I'd want from this type of thing. And Indiana Jones would totally go to Atlantis. I mean, who who do we have? If he fought the Nazis, he fought the Soviets. I don't know who he's fighting now, but go for it. <laughs> and that's what I mean. It's just kind of like begging to be made. It's yeah. like, there you go, Disney. Like, you got Indiana Jones. You have a way of reviving an old property at the same time. And you, you get everybody on board. Like, it's kind of almost, like, stupid easy. Like, it almost, and like, you could easily do that. And just, I don't get it. Like, like, like I get it. Like, obviously, certain brands have, like, a taint. I kind of, like, there's, like, a tainted nature to them. And I get why they'd be very, very leery to, like, invest in that again. Like, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we got burned once. We don't want to get burned again. But, like, I don't know. Like, we kind of live in that same, like, remember, this is also the same company that releases Fantasia in 1941. And 20 years later, it's like, oh, man, 20 years later, we're in the black. <laughs> it's like, okay, like, like, you're Disney. Everything is, every property, even the Doom properties, is never green. Yeah. Every property is an evergreen, even the ones that kind of, like, got you in the red initially. But, yeah, and I just find that very peculiar that, like, th- this company cannot figure that out. How many decades? Decades, year later. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you bring that up. The a remake of this uh, live action, specifically, because that is what I've seen. I know I mentioned a little bit ago the the internet love for this movie. Of course, it gets nowhere near as what Shrek gets, but I've definitely seen some people on the internet talking about like, oh, someone will post something like they should remake Atlantis: The Lost Empire. Here's my thoughts on casting, and it's solely based on appearance. They're just like this person looks like this person, so we should cast them. And then it always turns into where half the people are like, oh, this would be great. I really want to see him remake this movie. And then the other half going, no, leave these things alone. Don't remake them type of stuff. But it it just repeats itself. There's no, like, real discourse about this. It's just, you know, it's another meme thing. People see it. They comment. they, They leave it at the end of the day. Would I now watch a remake of this if it came out? Like, if it popped up on Disney Plus one day? Maybe, now that I've seen this movie. Am I dying for it? No. If it was an Indiana Jones type thing, I'd be more inclined to check it out. But... Uh, like I said, I've, I I think both of us, we don't have any lasting nostalgia or, you know, childhood notoriety with this film like these other people might. But, I mean, I'm with you that it seems like it could totally be something uh, profitable, I guess, for the lack of a better term that I can think of, is that Disney is like, oh, we need something action-adventure, live-action, here we go, this seems like the property. But this is the thing – okay, because I do like, – okay, I know we do this a lot in cinematis. We get into like the weeds of fil- like philosophical like, – like the surrounding of the movie. We don't talk as much about the movie. But like this was the same company that like in the late 90s was like, okay, we have the girls – like little girl market like locked down. Mm-hmm. We need to get boys on board. And it's like, okay, so we're going to acquire Marvel. We're going to acquire Star Wars. We're going to do all these things. And the moment we get them, we're going to try to morph them to make them appeal to not just boys, but to girls as well. Yeah. And there and there was no attempt to do that with like Frozen, Tangled, Moana, other than like they changed the names. Sure. They still kept those movies very feminine at their core. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. They can do whatever they want. But I find it fascinating that like they have things like Atlantis under their belt. And then, like, they acquire Lucasfilm, 
And I know the rights to Indiana Jones were weird because of what Lucas did with Paramount with those. But like, but by the mid 2010s, they had that. Like Indiana Jones was theirs. Yeah. Um, they might owe some of the residual rights to like stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, uh, Crusade, and Skull to Paramount when like when those films make a certain amount of money though. But pretty much anything going forward with that Indiana Jones character is theirs. And it's like, why not just do that? Like you have you have that. And yet they 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 choose not to, and we get that per- – God, I can still remember laughing like two years ago being like, oh, man, everyone excited for Indiana Jones 5 coming out in summer 2019? <laughs> and here we are two years later, and that film is still DOA. Oh, yeah. Um, because like no matter what you do with it, like it's just – like nobody's going to care unless you make it – unless you really just kind of find the Goldilocks zone with it. Yep, yep. But no, but getting, but getting back to the remake of this – is that like it's just waiting to happen? Like to me, I would be infinitely more afraid of making a, a live action Lilo and Stitch, considering mm-hmm. that the Stitch like property is so beloved. Oh yeah, like it, it's it's kind of like the Detective Pikachu thing, where like like Stitch works for a very specific reason, and it's the same way Pikachu works for a very very specific reason. And the moment you try to bring him into live action, you are inherently working on egg. Um, you're walking on eggshells. Yes, absolutely. And that's why, and that's why, like, if you were to remake a like Atlantis, you'd have a lot less baggage as long as the budget was down. Like, no, I wouldn't want to pour a quarter of a billion dollars into a live action Atlantis. <laughs> but like, if you're Disney Plus and now you can kind of like Mandalorian it, where like you can sit there and do something for like a hundred million dollars and kind of like limit your exposure. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Like, this is prime fodder, and you have our entire generation. That has found this film in 20 years and has some level of nostalgia for it, even if it's not like on the nose. Yeah, and I, I think I'm I'm totally with you. And that it's one of the things where, you know, as uh ever since Kingdom Hearts One, people were like, Oh, what's gonna be in the next games? Like what worlds are we gonna go to? And Treasure, like I said, Treasure Planet and Atlantis have always popped up in those conversations. And then by the time Kingdom Hearts Three comes out, it's clear that what they're doing is how can we advertise things that we have no other way to advertise and we get Big Hero Six. And of course you get Toy Story in there. That's a whole the creators of Kingdom Hearts wanted Toy Story in there since like the first game. So that's a little different story. But I think, you know, Disney going with Big Hero Six over something like Treasure Planet or Atlantis. I think that is telling to an extent of where it's like they don't they're fine with sleeping on it type of thing where, you know, they can throw in Big Hero 6, they throw in Monsters, Inc. That's going to get some revitalization where it's like, oh, I remember this now. Maybe I'll go back and check it out where maybe that's what Atlantis. They're just kind of like, meh, whatever we can dump it. on. I didn't watch this on Disney Plus, but I'm sure it is on Disney Plus where they could just let it sit there and they're like fine to just ignore it. Yeah, exactly. It's the idea that like like it's I think God, we were talking about this back during the Elite episode where it was like the idea of like dusty properties. Yeah. And I think this is like one of those examples of like a dusty property. It's like, no, they like they like, they're not gonna sit there like it's not even them maybe. It could be because who who's Kingdom Hearts? Is that Square Enix? Yeah. Yep. It's like Square Enix, like when they pay for the huge, huge licensing cost of like the Disney brand, they're not going to want to sit there, spend that exorbitant cost on Atlantis. They want to use it on what's popular. And that's why you'll get a much more focus on Toy Story. uh, Like what what are the other major worlds of Kingdom Hearts, Rob? Like like the Disney ones that they spend a lot of attention. They're like the evergreens in that franchise. Oh, sure. Uh, Aladdin's in two of the games. Uh, Little Mermaid's in two of the games. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is in two of the games. Exactly. Lion Lion King. Uh, And then in three, of course, they do Frozen and Tangled. 
Of course, because that's that's the thing. If you're going to spend the money on something, you want the stuff that's guaranteed to yep. draw people in, not the thing that's like, eh, eh. And that's and that's what they're going for. And again, on a, in a business level, I don't blame them. But at the same time, though, no, it's like a, something creative and to do outside like the norm. I find it very, very frustrating. It's like just like a fan yeah. of like somebody who of not just Disney, but just trying to do something a little bit kind of like a fresher breath of air. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's uh I would totally agree with that order of the words as well. <laughs> I know, I know. I want I want to do my own version of the one from Wild Wild West. Like that's my goal. Every single time that comes up, ever since Kevin Klein, he's like, She's a breath of fresh ass. Yep. And it's like like ever since that line, I deliberately I do it every chance I get, I try to screw that like what was that an idiom or an expression? Sure. Um yeah. I I deliberately want to screw it up. Wild Wild West, like I, I have to. <laughs> I told you she'd be a distraction. She's not a distraction. It's nice having her on board. She's a breath of fresh ass. Pardon me? What? You said ass. No, I didn't. I said it's nice having her on board. She's a breath of fresh air. Let's just get some shut ass. Oh, God. Oh, man. I haven't thought about that joke in a coon's age, Zach. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Okay, Rob, please insert the clip from the movie here. You have to insert the clip from the movie or else we're going to get canceled. <laughs> How nice of you to join us tonight and add color to these monochromatic proceedings. Well, when a fella comes back from the dead, I find that an occasion to stand up, be counted. Miss East informs me that you're expecting to see General McGrath here. Well, I knew him years ago, but I haven't seen him in a coon's age. Well, I can see where it'd be difficult for a man of your stature to keep in touch with even half the people you know. Well, perhaps the lovely Miss East will keep you from being a slave to your disappointment. Well, you know, beautiful women, they encourage you one minute and cut the legs out from under you the next. Right. Excuse me, Mr. West. Thank you. I've inserted that that whole Kenneth Branagh and Will Smith interaction quite a bit throughout Cinematic. Insert, you have to insert it again, Rob. You have to insert it again. We have to cover our butt. <laughs> <laughs> insane like that's it that's a yes. meet joe black series of like how did this not ruin careers <laughs> how did this not destroy people's careers absolutely absolutely so right, i think so- that's actually a good segue to to speak about careers unless you because i do want to talk about the performances in atlantis unless you have more you want to talk about with wild wild west <laughs> no, no no we'll get to that series one day yes yes one day um yeah i mean we even revitalized our giant spider talk from our three-year extravaganza so that'll be goddamn right coming up. so of course we have some voice acting in this movie which i'm always interested in and i have to say that is the most entertaining part of the documentary that zach made me watch 18 times i i have always known that this was jim varney's last credit ever and it is great to hear jim varney of course our good friend ernest as cookie in this movie i think i've read that there's one or two lines that they had to do after he passed away in 2000 that aren't him so and i think you can kind of tell in the movie i think i might have guessed at them and there was like one or two that i was right right on some i was wrong on um but i have to say there's for the most part i think the performances are great i think all the performances are, are good actually but i cannot stand michael j fox as milo because i only hear michael j fox 
Michael yeah. J. Fox is doing a great performance. Like, he's putting in the emotion, and I'm totally okay with that. But it is just Michael J. Fox. Like, it is his voice, and he is all I can hear and see when I'm watching Milo. And I just wish there was some essence of a character being done. But it is just Michael J. Fox, and that is so frustrating to me that as I'm watching Atlantis, I expect him to be talking to uh, Dr. Sweet and say something like, Doc, you know, and just do a line from Back to the Future. It was mm-hmm. so disappointing that there is just nothing really there. But like I said, he's good. He's not putting in a bad performance. When he does that line of where he's like, he's complaining about how everything's going wrong in like the start of the third act of the movie, he's putting in the work. He's putting in the emotion, and he's a, he's a good voice actor in that respect. So, what's it going to be? Excuse me? I followed you in, and I'll follow you out. It's your decision. Oh, my decision. Well, I I think we've seen how effective my decisions have been. Let's recap. I lead a band of plundering vandals to the greatest archaeological find in recorded history, thus enabling the kidnap and or murder of the royal family. Not to mention personally delivering the most powerful force known to man into the hands of a mercenary nutcase who's probably going to sell it to the Kaiser. Have I left anything out? Well, you did set the camp on fire and drop us down that big hole. Thank you. Thank you very much. But it's still just Michael J. Fox, and it's so frustrating. So are you with me there? That's all you hear? I, I, like I said, like, Michael, I've never understood Michael J. Fox's, like, draw beyond Back to the Future. Um, he's just, I find Milo very boring. He's yes. just, like, too, he's too doe-eyed as a character. Like, he's just the most naive person on the face of this earth. <laughs> and it's just like, it gets like almost annoying in that, like, how just like exaggerated he is yes. at like his characteristics. Just like how like book smart he is, how like just ignorant he is, is like street smarts, and how he's just like an outcast, mm-hmm. and how just like how he's just kind of so entranced by this lore that he's so like just monotracked and just how he sits there, looks at like this thing. Um, and which makes it so weird, like once he, like you would think there'd be a moment in this movie, like once he discovers it, he has this thing of it, but like, like the moment he discovers it, he just wants to just, I, I guess it makes sense in one regard though, but like he, his fascination is with discovering it. I would love to have seen a moment with this, like now that he's discovered it, it's like, what's next? It's just yeah. kind of, he kind of has this weird sort of feeling like, okay, like I discovered it now what? And it's just like, okay, nope. The moment he discovers it, he's just like. Like, his exploration of it almost ceases. Like, he doesn't want to explore it now. It's like, okay, I must protect it. Mm-hmm, like, but don't you mm-hmm. want to learn more about Nope, I must protect it. And he goes from, like, explorer <laughs> to guardian with very little transition point. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I would say out of the entire movie, Milo is probably my least favorite character. <laughs> I think every character in this is my least favorite character. Like, every character in this is just, like, just such like a, oh, God, an exaggeration of, like, one trait. And sure. I get it. That's I get that's the point. But like it's just like okay, you have James Gardner as bad man. Yes. You have blonde femme fatale as blonde femme fatale. I, have... I love Helga as a piece of animation. The whole movie though, Helga like, from the moment she comes on screen to the whole like ending when she is, you know, fighting uh bad man, I like that as you called him. Clearly bad military man. He's only missing a cigar. 
I'm just like, she should have been voiced by Kathleen Turner. I would have loved Kathleen Turner yeah. to do the voice of Helga. And I know th- at this time, I think Kath- this is when Kathleen Turner, her arthritis was like really bad. Because I think you can tell, uh, I don't think a movie we've talked about a lot, Baby Geniuses from 1999, which she's in. I think she's sitting that whole movie because she is so, her illness is really starting to, to get really bad. And But I, I'm just looking at it because I love Kathleen Turner, like, you know, Romancing the Stone. Speaking of Back to the Future, another Zemeckis movie. Like, Kathleen Turner's always been great. War of the Roses, the Danny DeVito film, which we've talked about on here. D- Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber 2, sure. <laughs> but, like, I-, I think, like, she's a great voice actress as well. Like, she's Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. She's been other voices as well. I think she would have been great as Helga. And when you hear uh, Claudia Christian as Helga, to me, it just plays as she's doing a Kathleen Turner impression. Because you're right, she's supposed to be that femme fatale that like Bond villain type of thing, which clearly comes across, but I just I just wanted more of that grittiness from Kathleen Turner's voice, and that was like legitimately one of my things. I was watching this movie, and I'm like, Michael J. Fox, all I hear is you, because it is you, and then with Helga, all I hear is Kathleen Turner, but it's not Kathleen Turner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing is that, like I just don't know what it was like, like like again everybody like you have like it's weird like they have like some really really progressive moments in this which is how we measure success by today's standards which is just insane to me but whatever unfortunately this is the rules that we have to play with play by now but like you have like comic relief characters mole and the french de- demolitions expert yeah then you have sweet who we have a, like a really grating like abbott costello routine with his name <laughs> with Kita, and it's just like oh god make it stop make oh, it yeah. stop i'm just like screaming that and then like you have like a latina mechanic character and i'm like okay like she at least seems interesting I would have liked to have seen her be also a protagonist because they make such a big point of her like being like something different and outside the norm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like this film is just so like it doesn't know what it wants to be other than just action adventure film. Yeah, that this, yeah. It, it decides like it feels like the genre comes first and everything else comes second. Ab- absolutely, and then it even it that comes across so clear. There's that scene where they like, uh, they get to some big bridge as they're traveling to Atlantis and a uh, bad military man is like, we're going to make base camp here. And I think characters ask why. And he goes, because we need character development. And he does the air quotes in the movie. It's crazy. But th- that it like takes me out of the movie that they're on this adventure. And then they're like, no, let's stop. And let's all get into our tents and let's talk about our stories and let's have a heart to heart moment. And I'm just like, no, keep going. I want to, I want to like get to the adventure again. And that definitely slowed things down for me. Um, I do have to say though, Audrey, the mechanic character, probably my favorite character in the movie. I loved her animation. I thought that was a fantastic fantastic bit of animation throughout the whole film and i'm with you i wanted her to be more of a protagonist because she was wildly interesting <laughs> to look exactly. at and to listen to yeah and like that's the thing though it's like we like even like helga for example is that like we keep talking about like disney doesn't sit there do this like it's not until like the 2010s with like rapunzel and tangled that disney starts having like female empowerment mm-hmm. and it's like every female character in this is pretty empowered yeah. like 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 and yeah i don't get this weird sort of like thing of like oh disney characters were just kind of the damsels in distress or just like the typical like disney princess it's like man like kita is like everything that we deem successful by today's thing is that like she's yep. like 
like the her I don't even want to call it like connection to Milo for the most part is pretty platonic. Like there's never any sort of like romance. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like where is she in all this? It's kind of like those people that are like Ray. Like it's like the Star Wars Ray thing. Like like Ray's the female protagonist we deserve nowadays. And it's like, did did we forget about Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver? Like, <laughs> like did we forget about that? Like Sigourney Weaver's been doing this for almost fifty years now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I got it's it's like I just don't get it. It's just like I just don't get it. Um, as a culture, yeah. This like like you like Kida, of course, uh, Audrey, even Helga. You know, she's more in the villain role of this. But I, I love that little turn where a bad military man is like. Okay, time for me to kill Helga, and Helga's like, "Well, <laughs> screw this, you know. Like, I'm I'm taking down the whole operation now, and it's great. I love that stuff." I was the only thing. Like, the only thing that's different today versus like then is that if this were made today, Helga would have survived. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely, yep. And, and like, Kita like does get sidelined. Kita gets well. Kita turns into pure energy at a certain point in this movie and gets put in like a Doctor Doom type container. <laughs> yes. So she does get sidelined for a while, and then and then what? Audrey is resigned to trying to saw through a chain. So it does turn into Milo versus Bad Military Man, which uh, which makes some sense because of course that's your primary protagonist and antagonist. But it, I I still think this movie did a good job at like in these big action scenes like the two i'm thinking of when the leviathan attacks near the beginning of the movie and the final like big action scene where they have to get the crystal back to atlantis the movie does a fairly good job at keeping like everybody still involved even if there's not really a lot there they do give you enough time to be like oh here's these people they're clearly doing something and the the comparison that made me think of is the end of mortal engines they do that they switch back to our characters but it's just to remind us that they're there they're not actually doing anything like what uh hester shaw is like waiting for numbers to pop up on a keypad in the final scene of mortal engines and it's like she's not doing anything she's standing there waiting for a number to pop up but we need to remember she's still in the movie type of thing and then what all those airships and stuff like that we're here it's like oh they're still doing things like mole and demolitions expert are causing a distraction sweet and audrey are trying to get the chain loose and then you know it's it's interspersed well i thought yeah that's that's the thing first rob I, i'm very disappointed it's not hester shot it's hester, hester. shot <laughs> uh come on rob get it goddamn right um but yeah no i absolutely agree with you but like it's weird that just how like with these characters that like i i just like by that end climax like i just don't care it's like what are they gonna do with with Kida? It's like like oh they put her like in the containment box. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah we're gonna use her like as an energy source. Oh, oh, oh okay yeah, yeah. for what well, we're gonna use her as an energy source. And it's like okay and then like we have like a fight at the end that's like again it's just it feels like it's obligatory. Yes, like yeah. nothing feels like it's happening because it's organic to the natural unfolding of the plot. It's just happening because the genre demands it. Like, it's a weird, almost, like, prototypical thing for, like, what Marvel would become, where it's, like, things just happen because they have to. Like, it's, like, okay, why are the, why is this action sequence happening? It's, like, because it has to. This is why, like, the, the, the genre calls for this hap- to happen at this specific moment, even though the plot doesn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens, is that, like, okay, like, we have all these moments, and it's, like, well, what's the plan? Like, we have uh, James Gardner trying to escape with Kida, and it's like, well, where's he going to go? We haven't established an escape route for this. Yeah, his motivation like, where... is money, 
which the well, movie makes yeah. very clear. And the th- the other thing that I wish the movie had at least one line about is that this takes place in 1914, like at the start of World War One. I, I would have wished if like Bad Military Man was like, this is gonna be like. Like, I, I see – if he had one line that was like, I see the war that's coming. I see, like, the destruction that's going to come. This could, you know, choose a side fast. Any any line to get at that. But it's like, nope, we're taking this with us because we're taking it with us. <laughs> that's what I mean, though. It's like it's it almost like they like they spent so much effort on certain things yet completely forgot others. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, you have that, like speaking to what you were just getting at, we have that moment where, like, Milo, Milo is like – like, oh, you're going to, what, sell it to the Kaiser, which is clearly a World War One reference. Yep, yep. But, like, it's weird to reference that because it's like, sure, the Germans were the quote-unquote bad guys in World War One, mm-hmm. But, like, World War One was such a weird war. Like, there's a reason why to this day most people can't really explain World War One because, like, it, there really – it wasn't a war of good guys and bad guys. It was a war of just Europe being Europe. <laughs> Like, and and that's what it was. So, like, it's weird to sit there. Like, and I get that. But, like, like, I don't get why you couldn't have made this movie, like, World War II. Like, just, like, delay it until, like, 1930. Like, what are you going to do? Sell sell it to the Germans? Like, obviously, because I know Disney's always, always been afraid of, like, referencing the Nazis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because apparently, like, referencing a historical thing that actually happened (laughs) is apparently just, like, beyond reproach. But that's why I mean, though. like, no, I, I don't get it. Like, I just like it, it's weird that the historical context and they kind of go at it, and I get it. Like, they, they want that specific era because they want that steampunk aesthetic. Yes. But that's the thing about the steampunk aesthetic is like pretty much from like 1910 to like 19 what? 40 like like 45. That aesthetic exists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They could have just as easily had this, you know, closer to World War Two. Or really any time. I mean, just since the movie doesn't choose to focus on any motivation other than money, it could have taken place any time, really. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. Like, I just I, I just there's a lot in this movie that just kind of happens, like even with uh, the, the opening, the prologue where we see the and I know there's an alternate prologue with the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And I really I didn't really read that much into it because I don't think it matters. But like you have like like you have the two guys like on the scout ships like, look what happened. Look what you did. And you have the tidal wave. And it's like, what happened? It's like, what what led to this cataclysm by their yeah. own term? And it's like, okay. And then like you have Leonard Nimoy in an Atlantean costume, and he's like, like, oh, no outsiders allowed. You know what will happen if we let them back in here again? And it's like, no, please tell us what happened the last time you let outsiders in. <laughs> and it's like we don't have any context for this. Is like, is is viewers and like the like and it's just weird like they focus so much on like the atlantean history yet they forgot to make a compelling narrative in the process yeah i i would totally agree and i by the end of the movie i was definitely enjoying it for the the art style the animation um that the whole last fight scene like there's there's some really interesting shots and stuff like that and i love the design of a lot of these characters but i'm totally with you where i'm just like okay you know this is happening because it has to there has to be this big climactic action scene at the end from the point that they get to atlantis and you know we we get the sense of we we don't know that it's bad military man he's just still military man commander rourke I'm just like, get through it. Like, come on. We know he's going to be bad. We know he's going to want everybody to die or something like that. Like, that's when the movie really slows down to me, and we spend so much time on Milo and Kida 
just walking around Atlantis and swimming around Atlantis. I'm like, come on, come on, like let's let's get going. And so I, I'm totally with you that it's just like, yeah, the narrative's not all there for sure. Yeah, and that, but like that's the thing I find so odd though is that like, like, like they spend years working on this movie because I, I went to a little bit of research on this when it came to like Jeffrey Katzenberg, mm-hmm. and the reason why you got like Atlantis, and then you have Treasure Planet when it comes to the 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 big like name brand Disney directors is that like these guys had been wanting to make these types of movies kind of like like off the reservation when it comes to like what's understood in the Disney pantheon because like they were t- like, like I know in Treasure Planet was like okay like they wanted to make this film like in the mid 80s and they were told like by Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg they're like no like we did that like like no like the company is very shaky right now especially when it comes to animation you have to play this safe like we have to do what we think is right, and they're like, yeah. okay, like they like they make like Beauty and the Beast makes a bunch of money. They do like Little Mermaid. And I know I'm kind of jumping around when it comes to like different filmmakers, but like they played it really safe in the '80s and '90s, as opposed to what these directors and creatives wanted to do. So by like the mid to late '90s, when they made the studio billions of dollars, they're like, okay, now we'll let you play. Yep. And guess what? It, it, it turned out disastrous for them. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it was the idea of letting these creatives kind of play untethered because they made it like basically it was like, once again, going back to Rob's favorite thing, they were basically written blank checks. And it was like, oh crap, this isn't like, and I, and I think that's once again what happens with Hollywood. It's like they kind of don't see the forest through the trees in that. Like Atlantis wasn't unsuccessful because it didn't follow the Disney brand or the Disney model. It was unsuccessful because it just wasn't a compelling narrative. Yeah. And the same thing – and I think it's to a lesser extent with Treasure Planet because Treasure Planet follows so, so tightly to the Treasure Planet novel. Okay. But I think I think aesthetically it was just very jarring. Sure, sure. I, and, I, know, yeah, I know what you're saying. And it's another film that goes into the steampunk aesthetic as opposed to Atlantis did a very steampunky early 20th century thing. Treasure Planet did like a steampunk space aesthetic. And I don't – and there's a reason why that aesthetic is so, so niche is because it's not broad in its appeal. Yeah. And that's the thing. But like, I think once again, it's just Hollywood this misunderstanding why these films didn't work out. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, you would know more about that than than me. But I mean, speaking of this of Atlantis in particular, like I like I already said, the the part of the movie that slows down for me and really starts to lose me is when they get to Atlantis and it becomes just like let's learn about Atlantis in the documentary. They talk about how they had all this stuff about more scenes where as our team of of explorers are traveling, you know, deeper through the earth and they're trying to get to Atlantis, there's more things that they'd encounter. And I'm like, I want that. Like, I just if if you're not going to have like a compelling narrative and, and, you know, you're not going to really have any like characters that I'm latching onto other than like the the little laugh lines or the animation that I like, just give me a series of vignettes of things that they encounter. I would be much more on board with that. But instead, they're like, no, in the documentary, they say, no, we wanted to get to Atlantis. We wanted to start to flesh that out. And I'm like, that's all the boring stuff. That's when it becomes cookie cutter. Like, oh, military man, don't steal the basically this movie becomes Stephen Lang, don't knock down our tree and steal our crystal. We need to keep the Atlanteans slash the blue people alive. You know, it's the, it's the avatar thing all over again or before, you know, my timeline's off there, but I'm like, screw all that. I want to see them run into like lava whales that they talk about in the documentary. Cause at least then that's a good, like seven to 10 minute set piece of just a little fun idea. 
And then I think that gets back to what we were saying earlier. Show me what the hell a lava whale is. I want that cryptozoology. I love the sequence in this movie where there are fireflies that light things on fire. I'm all about that. And then it's like, no, we need to look at hieroglyphs under the water of Atlantis. And I'm like, screw all of this. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Is like, I think there needs to be a balance, though. Like, I don't mind them getting into like the Atlantean like history and just stuff like that, though. And like there needs to be there needs to be a balance, but at the same time, you need like they need to easily cut the characters down. Like you do not need like a team of like a dozen people. And like and I think like it even goes to the film's problem that by the very end, like you have that moment with Whitmore. And to me, Whitmore was the only character in this movie that felt like an actual character. <laughs> sure. Like this, like this is like he basically he's he's John Hammond. That's essentially what he is. Yeah. Yeah. And and yes. he and that's what it is. Like I'm like okay, like I want to see him. And he should be the character with Milo, go, Milo. Go, I don't like you saying Milo. Milo going on the adventure, mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. have that father son dynamic and the idea of like the absent father presence, and, and that would also correlate with Kida and not Leonard Nimoy as the Atlantean, and the idea of like having like that absent father figure, whether absent because of a death or absent because just they're there, but they're just kind of vacuous as the father figure. Yeah. And like, I would love to see that. And you trim that down, you trim it down instead of having the like malicious, evil military character, have the forces of nature be the villain. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and I, like I said, it's kind of like brevity is the soul of what condense boil down to its essence. Like you do not need like even though yes it's fun to see Jim Barney is like the cook that just like worships Greece but that is literally all he does in the movie. Yeah, he's a character that likes Greece. You have the <laughs> doctor character that just likes to manhandle, and it's like that's it. Like why is that there? Like why is that there? And like I like the character of the female Latina can't mechanic, but just like like condense like condense these characters like mole. Is it like, oh, Mole is an eccentric digger that loves dirt. And it's like, oh, what is he beyond that? That's literally it. Mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. can describe his character in a handful of words. And it's boring. It gets like like after a while, it's like, sure, it's a fun moment, but like no one's going to care about that character. Nobody yeah. wants an action figure of that character. And that's the thing, is that like you need to condense. But I think like this went back to like the Michael Eisner way of like running the studio. Was it like like I remember um they wanted to make like sequels to a lot of these movies. And it's like, why should we make sequels? Like these characters are already making me money. Mm-hmm. Make me new characters that can make me more money. Yep. And like I agree with that, at least like in one way, being like we shouldn't be a slave to nostalgia. But at the same time, though, is that like we should be condensing these things. So instead of making a dozen characters that won't make us any money, we should be making two or three characters that really resonate, and then they will make us money. Yes. There's a reason why people love Elsa, Anna, and Kristoff, and why they don't remember like Milo, uh, Kida, and Cookie. <laughs> like there, like <laughs> like like there's a reason why because they're not characters. Yeah. Like as much as I laugh, I don't even I don't think I've ever laughed at Frozen. I get why Frozen resonates. Like Frozen is pretty solid as a film. Um, I don't get why it became this cultural tour de force, Mm -hmm. but like I get why it's I get why it resonated. But like that's the thing though, because if they feel like characters, they have growth, they have problems that they overcome. Milo's problem is, oh, I want to find Atlantis. 
and he doesn't overcome that. The the team just stumbles through it because the plot tells them to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm I'm so with the the condensation of characters. It, it would be great if like Audrey was the mechanic and the demolitions expert and the digging expert because I I could not stand Mole as a character. Get rid of him. Put wrap that into Audrey. Keep the the drill car from the core, the movie The Core. They basically have the same exact drill thing yes. in this movie. Keep that. That's great though. But then even like I mean Don Novello as what Santorini, the demolitions expert in this movie, he's doing a great job. He's a great voice actor and he has some funny lines. But you could just as easily wrap that into Audrey. And then, like you said, have that character resonate more. It would totally be more interesting to me if we had Milo, bad military man Audrey, and like you said, uh, uh, the, the, the Hammond character, whatever his name is in the movie, going on this adventure. And then, you know, we get some like start to form of a relationship between Milo and Audrey. And then they show up at Atlanta, Atlantis, Atlanta. That's the that's the Futurama joke. They find yes, the, the sunken yeah. city of Atlanta, and and then you know there's some tension because we might get like a love triangle between Milo, Audrey, and Kida and stuff like that. But instead, it's just like no, we have to have Mole running around saying stupid shit the whole movie, and it's so annoying. And don't get me wrong, I love Corey Burton. Like Corey Burton's a great voice actor. That's one of the most interesting things to see in the documentary we watched is Corey Burton being like, "Look at this. I'm doing a voice and a character. You see that, Michael J. Fox? That's what we need in these types of movies." But the whole character is just so like underbaked. It's not even underbaked. It's just an it's a loose ingredient basically. <laughs> Pretty much. And I think that's the issue is that like there's nothing to latch on to. Like yeah. there's no relatable character in this. There's really nobody. Like it's just like – like I don't even want to say archetypes. Like it's just like they went so, – they made every character such an extreme of what their purpose is in the mission mm-hmm. that it's just a, like like no. It's like they're almost tools as opposed to characters. Yes, yeah, 100%. And I would have loved the, if you wrap a lot of these characters together and then, like you said, we keep the the old uh, Explorer character who's voiced by John Mahoney. We get a lot more John Mahoney then. You still have Helga, but you have her voiced by Kathleen Turner. You give her a much bigger part. It would have been great. I would have been so on board with all that stuff. And even, like, Leonard Nimoy, a great voice actor, barely has anything to do in this movie. And that was one of the things that drove me crazy about the documentary we watched is that they're talking about how it's like, this was the most difficult thing to animate. Like, the people that worked on Leonard Nimoy's character, they were like, this was so difficult. And Leonard, we all put so much work in this character. And I'm like, he's fucking sitting down for the whole movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I get if you put a lot of work and effort into it. I'm not, like, belittling that. But don't, like, you can't tell me, it doesn't translate to me is what I'm saying. Is where they're like, oh, this character was so deep and so so difficult to crack and it's like you put him in a chair <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and but like but this is like but that, okay that is not exclusive to just this project sure sure that's always been the disney thing is that everything is the most arduous just like oh man like we had to reinvent the wheel or to do this like i can remember even going back to like the monsters inc documentary that, that was released like in 2000 two on dvd or being like oh like the idea of having fur in like animation was just like it was revolutionary i was about to ask that, if that if the one you're talking about is that the one where they show like the hair tests and the computer programs yeah, and stuff yeah, I, that is yeah. wildly interesting more yeah. interesting than the actual monsters inc movie but, but, but this is the thing though like if you go and look at like the promotional stuff for like the lion king live action film in 2019 you'll hear john favreau being like like having animated fur has never been done before <laughs> 
and like it's the exact and like and like they they just recycle sure the same talking point and it's like and that's the thing that gets annoying with disney and like and like it's been stated numerous times i think it was like in like preparation for like the toy story 4 like press tour like someone's like yeah like they're like like the cast and like filmmakers are given talking points by the marketing department like they are literally given yeah, like sure. a three by five index card and they're told to like focus on these three or four points that like have been market research that like this will get the biggest response from an audience to want to go see this. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's the problem with Disney is that like everything is just market researched out the wazoo. Yes. And yes. like I don't they were all like forever. They've always been a company ever since the 80s has been afraid to do anything without like like testing the waters first. But now like everything is market researched like everything like even to the point like where it comes to even like the star wars movies there's a reason why every single one of those movies begins with the title the it's because it's been market research that like beginning something with the letter the out of the letter the word the the <laughs> article the is that it becomes it's much more conducive to the human psyche yeah and it makes yeah. people and that's the thing everything is just market researched mm-hmm. and it just becomes nauseating after a while because it's just like I, they just like nothing comes down to just like what works in the moment it's not trusting human intuition it goes back to the george lucas like interview with charlie rose where he's like like sometimes you just have to trust like your gut you yeah. can't market yeah. research something and that's just the problem with that company like and that's the thing like as much as Rob laughs at me for like the waking sleeping beauty, much of those ugly habits were formed in, in like the mid to late nineties. Sure. And and they're still there to this day because that was when the company had its rebirth. It's when it had its renaissance. And they're so afraid of moving away from that because that was their basically what's the word? Uh golden era beyond the stuff from the thirties and forty or from from the forties and like fifties, mm-hmm. they're so afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like we said before, you know, there's a reason uh that every Christopher Nolan movie starts with the letter I, which which is a fact. Don't don't anybody think otherwise. But no, I I'm glad you get to this because I it's even in the the way this movie was created and how it's talked about in the documentary, but of course you notice it in the credits. If you watch the credits for Atlantis, you see that kind of, you know, Disney style where the credits are broken up by character. Every character has an animation supervisor, a voice actor. They have their own keyers. They have their own in-betweeners. And that's how it was done. And I think, what, it takes until Brad Bird says, fuck you to Disney and goes to Warner Brothers and makes Iron Giant when says, no, we're not doing it the way Disney does it. We're going to have, you know, we're going to work on this together. I think he does what Iron Giant is by scene or something like that. And you kind of see, to me, animating something that way where you're doing it by character and then they talk about where it's like, oh, Helga's cleanup was done in Paris, but, you know, everybody else's cleanup was done in Burbank. And they talk about how machine-built and, like, like factory line this movie was made and how I think a lot of the Disney movies were made, animation. I feel like I get that sense, that it feels like this, you know, this, this line. Everybody's putting on their own part of it. Where then you get something like The Iron Giant, like more recent animation you know, my favorite animation, Sylvain Chaumet, it's all seen as one big project. It's not this kind of like, oh, we're putting these puzzle pieces together in this kind of very, you know, Ford-esque type of way. And that's, but I think that goes to what you said about Disney. They're researching this to death. They're having control over every single aspect. And it's, it's, Sometimes you got to trust well, your I think, intuition. I, I think there's a difference between like, like back in the 90s, what happened was they finally streamlined it all. Sure. And then and it's kind of like once you've streamlined something, it's like, okay, how do we make it more efficient? 
Yes, absolutely. And that's where and that's where they fell on the market research. Like, okay, like the production aspect is so streamlined, we cannot make that any more efficient. So what do we do? We now go to the psychological aspect when it comes to preference. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's no science behind preference. As much as marketing and consumer behavior likes to say that human taste is constantly evolving and devolving. There's (laughs) no way to figure it out unless you've just like kind of just like like basically taking a shot in the dark and you got lucky. Yes, absolutely. And that's it. But like, that's where we are though. Now with Disney is that like they've streamlined everything. They've gotten the market research down so perfectly. And that's where Marvel comes in. where like, Mm -hmm. they've gotten it so streamlined and they figured out what human taste is that everything now is just the equivalent of vanilla ice cream. Yeah, is that like yeah. – it's like it gets hard to get mad at vanilla ice cream. It's all – whether you buy Friendly's or you buy Briars, or you buy Turkey Hill or you buy Blue Bunny, <laughs> it's the same. Like will it change like in quality from like a 6 to a 6.5 occasionally or even dip to like a 5.5? Sure. But at the end of the day, you're always one standard deviation away from the next degree. It's never going to ever, ever go off the charts in one way or the other. Yeah. And that's and that's where we are. And mm-hmm. that's and like I said, but like that's and, and that's the thing. Like Atlantis is a stepping stone in that direction where the vanilla ice cream went down one standard deviation yeah. and they freaked and they freaked out. And that's where like like again, everybody forgets it. Like everyone likes to point to like things like oh, home in the like home on the range was the reason why like two D animation was canceled, and it's like uh 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 uh, it was the last two D animated film, mm-hmm. but it two D animation was killed with the two the one two punch of Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Sure, sure. And that's what happens. That's why you get like Chicken Little, um, like Meet the Robinsons. And even though Meet the Robinsons is pretty solid from a story perspective, like, but they're they're both films that are just very, very aesthetically ugly. Yes, I would. It's agree because with you there. it's because Disney convinced themselves that oh no, it wasn't that the stories were lackluster; it was the style they were presented, and that was the problem. <laughs> and I just, I just can't like when it comes to doing a post mortem on spending like six figures on something, I don't get how you boil it down to just one thing like that's one thing and that's one thing i do want to discuss while watching this film i got when it comes to discussing this film is that like this film was based very very heavily based on like mike magnola's like aesthetic style oh yeah which i love of course uh oh mike magnola is the the creator of hell heck boy sorry sorry i might have to bleep that out right rob (laughs) heck boy i i'm Um, all about that style i love that i thought this film was so so ugly like I think the cult, like the characters, especially like, oh god, like Milo, uh, like James Gardner, I found them so ugly to look at. I'm just like, like, like even like Milo at sometimes where he's just so like kind of like suiny, like he, like you can see like like he's so scrawny, mm-hmm. and you see his muscles when he tenses up. I find that very like just un- like subconsciously just unappealing. Sure, I I don't know. If I think I that's why this film what didn't like resonate with like mass audiences. Sure, personally, I wouldn't go as far as think it was like incredibly ugly, but I think it goes to what I was saying about how we have that that process of animation where every every character has this different you know supervisor and animation team behind it. That's why I I say things like I'm with you. I don't really like the look of Bad Military Man or Milo, but I love Helga and Audrey. I hate Mole. And then, you know, I'm just kind of neutral on, say, like, Kida and Santorini. 
because it's once again I don't think they view it as well, they, they all have to come together at the end of the day but all these different teams are working on these characters I would have loved if more of the art style fit into like what Helga looked like which is more like a Heckboy character than you have in say Milo or Kida or anything like that where it's like when I watch other animated movies you know like a Sylvain Chomet movie it's clear that there's an, an overarching idea for this animation it's not just piecemeal together so I'm with you there that it is it's that bothers me when I watch this movie. It's like, why can't they all look as good as Helga or Audrey or things like that? It's because they give everybody these different pieces and they get done in different parts of the world. And then eventually they're like, okay, let's just tape them together. Well, but it's okay. Going back to the aesthetic style of the characters, you know what this film reminded me of a lot? Titan AE. Oh, sure. The, Do- sure. the, the Don Bluth film. Yeah. Where I'm just like, I, I want, cause that was released in, I think, Oh god, was that 2000? I want to say that was Yeah, that, that was definitely was earlier than this, right? Oh yeah, it yeah. was though, but like that's the thing though. It's like I want okay. That came out in bu- 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 Oh god, 1786. Google, like, <laughs> yes, it did. It came out in 1786. Um funny enough, it actually came out almost exactly a year before this. Okay. Um I wonder when Disney saw that film and how that film just like was an infamous bomb that almost, I think it bankrupted the studio. Um I have to wonder like as they were like making Atlantis and treasure planet if they see the bomb of that and they're just like oh god mm-hmm. it's kind of like like when you're in a car accident you have like that slow motion moment where you're like you know what's about to happen but you have zero control <laughs> over the fallout yeah. i wonder if they had that moment and they're just like oh god what are we gonna do and i wonder if they had that moment where like michael eister sitting there with like the head of the studio and there's like jesus christ <laughs> jesus christ because yeah. um, treasure planet doesn't do well either right oh no treasure planet like atlantis lost them money yes but like treasure planet basically destroyed a medium <laughs> okay, okay like 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 really there's really been no, like nobody like that's the thing like people look at treasure planet as just a bomb but it single-handedly destroyed 2d animation yeah because it's titan ae i know that doesn't do well and then, like you said, there might be that moment of the studio going, uh-oh, Treasure Planet doesn't do well. And then, I mean, I mean, Atlantis doesn't do well. And then the third one, Treasure Planet, is basically like, why are you hitting him? He's already dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that's wildly interesting. Um, but uh, I, I don't think I've seen all of Titan AE. If I've seen it, I don't remember it. I've never, but... I've, I've never seen Titan AE, but okay. I know the impact it had. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah. like, it's like, it's like, I wasn't there for 9-11, but I know the impact <laughs> it had. <laughs> <laughs> like like that's the thing though. like Titan AE was kind of like the canary in the coal mine sure. like oh oh it's like like maybe may, like that's the thing like everyone like likes to defend animation and be like oh no like animation isn't just like for kids like it's just like a medium of like art and it's like if you're making an animated movie it's for kids like, like you can delude yourself as much as you want it's a medium for children's entertainment. Like, sure, you can kind of, like, go outside the bounds of that occasionally. But, like, at the end of the day, it's a children's medium. Like, that's just – and it's not – I'm not the one dictating that. That's where the culture sees it. I, I, I agree with you there because uh, I am totally still a child that loves my animation. Um, but I, it is – that the culture dictating that absolutely is is totally what it comes across as because even, even in things like – animation that is more adult it still gets looked at in that way of like oh isn't this for children type of thing and of course there's been things that have tried to break through that i think you know of course there's there's certainly anime that is not for children uh you have stuff but that's more but that's more like like why okay i guess when i say this i look at it on a u.s level or a u.s north american level that's the right way to put it 
Like I'm not talking about overseas because obviously Rob can tell you whether it be like Eastern culture or European culture, they definitely see animation differently. Mm-hmm. But but when it comes to North American audiences, it is still for the most part children's entertainment. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. That that's definitely what I was thinking of. Like when it comes to say, you know, Fantastic Planet. I don't think anybody in Europe or France where that was made is going, oh, this is like a kids' film because it's animated. I think it's the opposite of that. So even the same thing, like you know the. The Wind Rises is not a kid's film, but that's viewed very differently where in America someone sees it and goes, oh, animated, you know, that's got to be G. <laughs> Bingo. Exactly. And that's the thing. So, like, you have, like, the, like, the like not one-two punch, but, the, like, basically the three-way punch of Titan A.E., Atlantis, the Empire, uh, Lost Empire, and Treasure Planet. Yeah. And that's, like, okay, this is good. Like, like this trying to break out of the genre is essentially what kills that, like, medium. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's also there's a reason why, you know, the the things that maybe this ties into what we talked about with Shrek is that, you know, when when the best animated feature at the Oscars starts with the 2001 with Shrek and continues on, it's always kids things that win, you know? Like Triple to Belleville and The Illusionist aren't winning because those are distinctively not for children. But, you know, Pixar has to keep winning because those are kids' movies that adults can enjoy too. And there's some U.S. or North American mindset that that's what animation should be. And when it doesn't fit that mold, even in America, like I'm thinking of like Don Hertzfeld animation, like It's Such a Beautiful Day gets written off as, no, that's just weird, goofy shit. And it's like, no, there's a lot done with animation in that respect, but nobody in America wants to see it, which is a very, very bad thing as far as I'm concerned. But there's a reason. I think this also ties into one of our first series on cinematis ever was foreign animation because that's Mm -hmm. where animation can really thrive and that's why i love you know my spirited away my triple to belleville um uh, what the um the middle eastern one persepolis and stuff like that uh the brazilian boy in his world i mean we didn't talk about those last two but it's like nobody gets the chance to make these things in america and then even when you have the groundbreaking animators like i think people think of as brad bird he's still making kids movies he's relegated to making kids movies that are also for adults and i just want an animated adult movie but now it just seems people like no the only way we're going to do an animated adult movie is it has to be an adult movie in terms of like porn (laughs) yeah Uh, unfortunately unfortunately um but that i think it's interesting you bring up shrek because once again you have shrek that comes out a month earlier, and that clearly either hit the bullseye when it came to the zeitgeist, yeah, or it helped dictate where it was going, mm-hmm. or it was a combination of the two. Yep. And I think that sort of just like like again, both DreamWorks and Disney were trying to turn animation on its head, whereas Disney went with the genre busting version. DreamWorks went with the meta version. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. One tried to turn the genre around, the other turned it on its head. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to lampoon something than it is to turn something around. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's where, like, once again, like, I, like, Hollywood learned the wrong lessons from Shrek and Atlantis. Oh, yeah. And that, like, it wasn't that people disliked 2D animation, it was. That the one was doing something much more appealing on a narrative level than the other. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a bummer, you know. Well, this this whole mindset that we've been discussing is a bummer. But even when when I watch this documentary for Atlantis, you know, they say the thing that I I hear commonly from animators and and American animators and probably Disney and and those things. You hear them say, and whether or not it's a talking point, I think they do believe it. There's always someone saying animation can do more than what we've been doing with it. 
and it seems like if you really want to do that, you have to go to Europe. I mean, that's the whole reason, you know, my uh, subjective love of Triple to Belleville aside, that's why Triple to Belleville does so well and makes it out of France to, you know, this worldwide, you know, hit of an animated movie because it was like, oh, Sylvain Chaumet is taking what Jacques Tati always wanted to do and using animation to actually do it to its fullest. And we're here, you have an animator who's like, no, animation can do so much more. We want to do something with it. They go, Brad Bird, animate your stupid fucking rat or do a Fantastic Four movie. That's what animation is. <laughs> and it's it's depressing. <sighs> stupid rat movie. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Stupid rat movie. And Brad Bird's like, I'll do it. Excuse me. But I'm going to put the fountainhead in it, too. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yes. Excuse me, Rob. It's stupid chef rat movie. Uh, yes. Get it? Goddamn right. <laughs> Which also makes its way into Kingdom Hearts eventually. So, <laughs> does it? Did that really make yeah. it into Kingdom Hearts? Well, it's not a, it's not its own world, but there's a cooking mini game in Kingdom Hearts three where you like cook with the rat. Which is the, no, the rat is the rat Remy? No, Remy's the kid. Yeah, Remy. right. No, the rat no, is no, Remy. The, okay, I don't Remy's know. rat. Uh, but yeah, it makes its way into Kingdom Hearts eventually. Yes. <laughs> That's disappointing. That's disappointing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is. But that that's why, you know, we need more. Well, one, we need more um, animation from foreign, which seems to be going strong. So I have nothing against that. You know, I'm looking very much forward to hopefully in two years when we get the next Miyazaki movie. I will be all about that. But honestly, in terms of animation, I know this is a tangent. We need more outlets like Adult Swim to let animators do whatever the hell they want. You can say that, like, Jack Stauber is a weird, crazy individual who, yes, got famous for releasing a commercial on local access channels saying, please mail me your teeth. But nowhere else other than Adult Swim is letting him do his own animation and giving him complete control. And it's distinctively not for children. It might not be for anybody. But... At least there's some outlet to do it where you're not going to get that in a major studio. But then I think that leads to a bigger conversation of, well, it's like it's the Marvel machine as well. Like we talk about where Taika Waititi, maybe he is a good director. Maybe he is a really good auteur and creative force, but he gets picked up for Thor Ragnarok. And that's what people only know him as. And I mean, Jojo Rabbit got some attention, but I feel like people see Thor Ragnarok, then they go to Jojo Rabbit and they go, eh, Thor Ragnarok was better. But it's like, it's like you say with the Big Mac, they're going to think the Big Mac's better. They're not going to be like, oh, I don't want this blue cheese. I don't want this Gruyere. I don't want this fancy shit. I want what I know and what I love that's been processed to death. And yes, I mean, that because it's safe. safe. Exactly. And that's that's the thing I'm always worried about. I mean, that's one of my things with Denis Villeneuve. Yes, he makes great movies and the stupidest movie in existence. One of the stupidest movies in existence (laughs) that people love. But then he gets picked up for Dune. Maybe Dune's going to be good, but Dune to me is a property. Dune to me is something that, you know, maybe he wanted to make it, but Dune has recognition. I feel like we talked about on the Mandy episode. I I think, what, Panini Cosmonaut has only made two movies still. <laughs> when, when is he going to get Guardians of the Galaxy 4 or something, you know? I, I, I live in fear Rob, of Rob, these Rob. days. Rob, Rob. He'll have to pry that out of James Gunn's cold, dead hand. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy isn't the best example. But, you know, maybe they give him Eternals. Maybe they give him something really mystic because it's what Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow has a certain aesthetic. where they're. Or maybe they give him another Doctor Strange and say, Neon, 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 Neon. You can do that, right? And he's like, I barely speak English. <laughs> and they're like, good, you know, just do what we want. I live in fear for those announcements, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Like I said, I, I, I just don't know. Like, that thing about Atlantis. Like, Atlantis is one of those movies that's, 
like it, it doesn't deserve to be remembered outside of nostalgia. There, there, sure. it doesn't like it doesn't add anything to not forget just like pop culture. It doesn't add anything even to Disney culture other than just like as a reminder or a lesson to be like, okay, narrative matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 narrative and characters matter. It doesn't matter how gorgeous things look. Like I know like even in that behind the scenes documentary, they they spend so much time on that sweeping shot of like underwater of Milo like looking out like the glass, the yeah. viewing glass on the Ulysses submarine. And it's like that's great. Like you were able to do something in the computer that was very difficult to do 20 years ago. But now that is like chump change when it yep. comes to animation. Exactly. Exactly. The the now it's like they, they don't. I don't think they talk about it in the documentary. I I can't imagine. I missed it when I watched it for the twenty fourth time. But the the amount of time it probably took to render anything that they did in this movie is just would be comically long compared to today. And, of course. And, and it's just like you know, it's a bummer. And and I wish there was more to this movie. But like I said at the start, there's certain parts of this movie that I love. Like I said, like the animation of Helga and Audrey. I absolutely love the whole Leviathan attack scene. I love the way that's done where we, we are constantly cutting between our different characters and we're seeing what they're doing. There's there's so much going on in that Leviathan attack scene when the Ulysses gets blown up that I was just so on board. And I was like, I want the movie to be all of this. And it eventually is not all of that. But there's parts of this movie that work really well, but it never comes together. I think, like I said, it's it's put together with scotch tape that's, like, stale. It's been sitting in a drawer for too long. Like, it's barely holding together as a full movie. I can only pick out bits and pieces of what I really like. And also, some of it doesn't hold up as well. I mean, you know, the, the line that stood out to me was, if it came out today, I don't know if anybody would get it, but there's a, when Commander Rourke is leaving with Kida crystal version in the Doctor Doom container, and all of our crew goes with Milo, he goes, P.T. Barnum was right. And I'm like, is anybody going to get that reference today? <laughs> that was that's a fun reference. Oh, like, yeah, that absolutely. Is, like, I, I like there's like, some really good one liners in this that like I thoroughly enjoy. There's a line that like, Commander Rourke says something like, congratulations, you found the gold Cupid doll. And I'm like, no, I'm like, that would have to be replaced with like Beanie Baby these days. And that's even yeah. a stretch that anybody would get that. <laughs> Yeah, like again, like Vinny Santorini has some of the best like lines in the entire film. Like I, I, yes. I did. Let's get wrong. Like this is not like a completely joyless film that's like bland. No, like like, like I said, so, I I enjoyed watching this. Would I ever watch it again? Probably not. But I enjoyed sitting through this. <laughs> exactly. Like it's it's a me. Like, that's the thing. It's it's this is a definition of a time waster. <laughs> Sure. And that's what's so painful because like I think that like it's a little just a little more effort, it could have risen above that. Yeah, yeah. That that is totally true. And that's one of the things that got me the most watching the documentary is that clearly, whether it be talking points or not, I think there is a lot of passion in the creative team behind this movie. And I wish that came through more in the actual final product. Exactly. But I do have to say, I, I, I did laugh a good bit at Vinny, Vinny's lines. One of the quotes I was going to do at the beginning is, and I'm going to say uh, money. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. The whole thing where he's talking about, he's like, we've done things we're not proud of. And he lists like a bunch of things and then says double parking, but nobody got hurt. At least nobody we knew. And I, was, <sighs> I chuckled at those. Those are good fun, you know? <laughs> Yeah. We're this close to our biggest payday ever, and you pick now of all times I grow a conscience? We've done a lot of things we're not proud of. Robbing graves, uh, plundering the tombs, double parking. But 
Nobody got hurt. Well, maybe somebody got hurt, but nobody we knew. But like I said, I mean, it's funny that and that's clearly the Joss Whedon aspect. Of this. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, jo- jo- I never knew until like in preparation for this recording that Joss Whedon stuck his fingers in this. Like I, that was one of the things where I'm like, man, I'm like thank God we canceled him. Thank God we got. <laughs> like, I think like weirdly, like Joss Whedon is kind of like the earliest strands of cancer in Hollywood. Like everything had to be a quip. Everything mm-hmm. has yep. to be this very specific way. Thank God, like he's been banished. For the most part, like yeah. thank God, like finally we kind of vanquished that menace. Like I don't know, like, <laughs> like, like, like an even worse thing will take his place, but like at least we got rid of one problem. It might be like, like well, God, what's that Simpsons gag where it's like, like how are we gonna get rid? Like oh God, they have like what the infestation of the town, and he's like, well, how are we gonna get rid of X? Well, we'll just have Y. And Lisa's like, yeah. what about Y? We'll just get Z. Well, what about Z? We'll get Alpha. Well, what about Alpha? Well, we'll just die off in the winter. Like... <laughs> well, I was wrong. The lizards are a godsend. But isn't that a bit short-sighted? What happens when we're overrun by lizards? No problem. We simply unleash wave after wave of Chinese needle snakes. They'll wipe out the lizards. But aren't the snakes even worse? Yes, but we're prepared for that. We've lined up a fabulous type of gorilla that thrives on snake meat. But then we're stuck with gorillas. No, oh, that's the beautiful part. When wintertime rolls around, the gorillas simply freeze to death. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, like, we'll just keep, like, introducing these things to the population. Wait, that's the episode, what, when Bart has the, uh, the, the like, the eggs he's trying to protect and Principal Skinner wants to kill them? Sure, yeah. And, and I think, it's the is lizards. that the one where he, he shoots the bird and he takes care of the eggs yes. and it turns out to be a lizard? Yeah. And, oh, yeah, like, yeah that's the one because he's, like, hanging out with Nelson at the beginning and Nelson gives him the BB gun. And mm-hmm. Bart, like, purposely aims away from the nest and then he shoots and it ends up hitting the bird. And Nelson's like, how'd you even know to account for the bad sight? <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly you gotta insert that clip here but yes that's what it feels like we finally got rid of one problem but we might introduce an even worse one yeah yeah a hundred percent and but but no i mean you're right this is not a, a joyless movie um I, I i did like a lot of it i i for some reason the first like everything up to them getting to the the camp scene where they're sharing their stories i am totally fine with like i love when milo gets the the pneumatic tube message that's like, your meeting's been scheduled to 3.30. He looks at the clock. He gets an immediate next one. Since you didn't show up, your proposal's canceled. I thought that was great. And then all the academics are running away from him when he's trying to get to give his proposal. I love that. For some reason, when Milo meets um, the the old uh, explorer character that gives him the shepherd's journal, Milo's like, we're going to need this. We're going to need this. And he's like, we got it already. So now we just need you. And he's like, well, I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. And then he goes... What about this? What about X? What about Y? What about Z? What about my cat? And the cat just pops up and goes, meow. That got me. I was, I was like, this is for real. Now you're catching on. All right. Okay, I, I have to quit my job. It's done. You resigned this afternoon. I did? Yep. Don't like to leave loose ends. Uh, my apartment. I, I'm going to have to give notice. Taken care of. My clothes? Packed. My books? In storage. My cat? My gosh. I was just like giggling at that. I was like, this is fun. It's fast paced. There's no bullshit. I'm glad that everything's just set up. They're on the ship. And then the movie just slows down so much, like 30 minutes in. And I'm just like, bummer. You know, I want more of that Leviathan scene. I want more of that fast paced dialogue and and stuff like that. Even if it's not developing the characters, when Dr. Sweet shows up and he's just talking a mile a minute, you know, the great Phil Morris just doing his Phil Morris shtick. I'm so about that. But then eventually he becomes like, you know, him and Keita talking is like 
wading through molasses compared to the first 25 minutes of the movie and it pains mm-hmm. me yeah like it's like i said like, so, like some moments are like when the characters are allowed to like kind of like flourish and interact with each other yeah that's where you have fun but sometimes it gets very very dry yes. very dry very quickly everything with the old lady miss packard i think her name is is the communications yes, expert yeah one we get even though it's animated we get an, a woman smoking a cigarette in a disney film i'll take it it's great she's on the phone they're like so deep into the earth's core but she's on the phone with one of her friends talking about oh that man's not coming back honey and i'm just like i'm like here we go just do it just hit me with this i'm totally fine with it and it's you know when she's like you want to do my job for me to helga and stuff like that it's great i was so on board with that and then it just it just starts to crawl and and I get we need Atlantis. It's called Atlantis, the Lost Empire. I know they mentioned that in the documentary where they, they take from Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth where they're like, well, in that book, though, they just pass through Atlantis. And I'm like, I kind of wish that's what they did in this movie, too, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they pass through. They leave Milo there because I should – I do say – I do believe I like Milo staying in Atlantis at the end. I, I think that's a nice little end to this movie. Um, and then Audrey has Milo's cat when they're talking to uh, John Mahoney's character at the end. And I'm like, oh, the cat came back. That's fine. And Cookie has like a diamond tooth. I'm totally fine with that. But everything else in there is like, once again, like you saying earlier, they had to get there, it seemed. Exactly. Oh, God. But like, it's funny. Like, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. But like, when you, because I watched this on Disney Plus because I wanted to see it in HD. Mm hmm. And like before it starts, it warned me about the cigarette use. It's like tobacco really? use. Really? Oh my god! Oh my god I did read it, that thing. in the TV edit of this movie, they cut out the cigarette parts of Miss Packard, which is what almost her entire character. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> so basically, uh, and, like, I mean, you know, my, oh, you know what my frustration is though, like with moments like that, like beyond, like I don't agree with censorship and art. Um, it goes back to like, is any kid gonna start smoking because Mrs. Packard and Atlantis? <laughs> I can't even finish it. Is any kid gonna start smoking because Mrs. Packard in Atlantis, the Lost Empire, is smoking? Like, really? Yeah, yeah. I would love to it's see like, really? uh, like an eight-year-old boy being like, "Man, I look up to the sassy old lady. I want to smoke. I want to chain smoke cigarettes." But that's what I mean. Though. It's like it's just like it's like oh, smoking bad. But like okay, but like it adds character development. Nope, bad. I'm like okay, I guess bad. Did uh did they in the Disney Plus? I'm sure it is. Well, they just warned you, like you said, they didn't cut out in Disney Plus the cigarette stuff. Um, did they warn you about the gay panic scene when what the the grandfather and John Mahoney's character they have the image of them reviled because they kissed each other? Did they warn no, you about that? that? They, they, they did not warn. That's me about fine. That. Gay panic is fine. <laughs> <laughs> they have a case in the not gays. I was really hoping that when they showed that, because they show the thing where you know, what John Mahoney's character says something like, "I I didn't believe your grandfather talking about Atlantis," and I said, "If he found proof, or if he found the Shepherd's Journal, he I was going to kiss him on the mouth." And they have an image, like a a photograph of the two of them being revolted that they kissed each other. I really wanted, like, a follow-up joke because right after that, we get, like, John Mahoney gets very sentimental, and he's like, your grandfather was a great man. I wish you could have, you know, he would have been here to see this exploration and discovery. I really wanted him to say something like, I wish I could kiss him one more time. I thought that would have been a great <laughs> little touch to that joke, but no, in the early 2000s, from what we know, not Disney or animated, but the gay panic of saving Silverman. So where being, much gay panic. Being gay is a, a character flaw seems or a punchline of a joke they were never gonna do that in 2001 can i please just real quick like i want it's a slight tangent that it was announced a couple days ago 
that Saving Silverman will be getting a blue a Blu-ray really? release. Really? Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> like I still, we're still waiting for the Freddy Got Fingered Blu-ray, but Saving Silverman <laughs> okay. is getting a Blu-ray release. I I I think that when this comes out, we should both buy a copy of the Blu-ray and have it shipped to Ben. So Ben gets two <laughs> copies of the Saving Silverman Blu-ray. <laughs> He would be furious. <laughs> I, I inexplicable, truly inexplicable. But speaking of which, definitely. Like I speaking of like like home video releases. This was one like Atlantis the Lost Empire was one of those films that got its initial DVD release, like where it was like a single disc like just DVD mm-hmm. release because that's part of the like marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. But it also a few years later actually got a two disc DVD release, like mm. special like artwork, and that's where the uh, behind the scenes documentary was released. Oh, okay, okay. They actually they actually poured more money into this, like as a subsequent release. I think I want I could be wrong, but I want to say like in two thousand five. Sure, sure. So uh, there you go. Mm. Like like who would have thought? But like yeah, this actually got like a specialty release, like like a few years later. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, how I, about that? I guess that was their last push, and then they never. Uh, that was it. They never to... talked about it ever again. Yeah, they never wanted to give it the Kingdom Hearts treatment. So, <laughs> exactly, and now Rob, it's way exactly. too far. They would never go back to this for Kingdom Hearts. Um, I mean, well, I, I, well, unless people. Well, okay. Let me rephrase this. They would, as of now, they wouldn't go back. Yeah. But if there ever ever was a research, like remember, Rob, all it takes is one meme. And this goes right back to like the top of the pile. You're right. So yeah, nothing's nothing's out of bounds. Of course, if they ever did a, no one's ever really gone. A, wrong. No one's ever really gone. Sure, sure. But no, I mean, it, I could see this to some extent as popping up in like a Kingdom Hearts, not a main game, but one of the side ones. Like with Birth by Sleep, that was a prequel, so it made sense where they were like, oh, we're gonna do like you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs world, Cinderella world, like the older Disney properties, and that makes some sense. Maybe we eventually, when the next Kingdom Hearts game comes out, it will be 2083. That's my guess. That's on the record maybe treasure planet will be old enough but at the same time things like i don't know uh what's a more modern disney or pixar thing that they could go to that will be considered old you know what i'm saying the the lion king live action remake (laughs) there is the animated lion world in kingdom hearts 2 so now we go to the live action world in kingdom hearts 4 (laughs) but this is the beyonce version rob sure sure <laughs> <laughs> like how rob is just like so beaten down with this at this point he's like yeah sure like it's possible like i'm not gonna argue against it it's more likely it will happen than not at this point yeah but maybe more maybe like with the pixar stuff maybe like the incredibles world that would be an older property by the next time next kingdom hearts game comes out so and it seems like i mean because they did frozen and toy story and Mon- was monsters inc pixar yeah yeah okay they did that maybe they're leaning more towards that because that's what people like but I mean, the bad version of this is that the next Kingdom Hearts game that comes out is going to be an up world and an inside out world and nonsense like that. Where one of the big pulls that they don't, I don't think they fully understand is that Kingdom Hearts 1 was so popular because you had a lot of the mainstays of Disney and a lot of crazy stuff. Like the Nightmare Before Christmas world. Like that is really cool. Like blending, oh, we have our stop motion, we have our, our hand drawn, we have our, you know, our, our 3D stuff. And that's all good fun. But then they're just like, Kingdom Hearts 3 is. Disney advertisement, like we talked about earlier in this episode, and we've said before, why the hell is Big Hero 6 in Kingdom Hearts 3? Because Disney had no other way to advertise Big Hero 6 anymore. And it's a good world, don't get me wrong, it's big open world stuff, but it's it's just like, no, we can't get any interesting because it's like, well, nope, this is our pipeline for it now. It's just, it follows the marketing plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunate reality, the situation we live in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but one thing I do want to bring up, Rob, because I don't know how much research you did, but I remember this being a thing like in the like in the oh god, like in the mid two thousands, that like there was going to be the Atlantis TV show. Oh that, yes. Like th- that was going that that was going to be a thing until like this film like bombed and it got aborted and then like it got released as Milo's return. Like, you know, he never left. It was his return. <laughs> yeah. From it was the TV show was supposed to be called team Atlantis. I think I read and it was going to be very much like, you know, a different adventure each, each week or however they were releasing it. And then that gets canceled. And then, so three of the episodes get amalgamated together into the movie, which is the direct to video sequel um, which yes. you said is Milo's return. And I did read a little bit about that because I was like, well, what do they do in there? And I know that from what I read, it's these three vignettes about like the crystal causing problems in the human world, I think. And it ends with like Kida and the Atlanteans, like Atlantis rising back up to the surface or something and oh, then living it? together. Yeah, that's I remember reading how it ended was like humans and Atlanteans are now living in harmony type of thing. Oh, yeah, I had because I had no idea how that would eventually turn out. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I definitely hadn't seen that one. I, is that on Disney Plus? It's got to be right. It's it is. Okay. It's when we type in Atlantis, it's the first thing that shows up. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I, I did look into that a little bit, and I mean that once again that seemed to be the formula, right? It was like, oh, if this is going to do well, let's give it a series. I mean, we talked about with that with the Mummy. You know, the Mummy did well, or Mummy Returns, or whichever one of them, and they were like, okay, animated series time. They've done it with Back to the Future. They had that animated series, and I guess it makes sense where they're they're ready for it, they're ready to go, and then it's like, oh, didn't do well. Nope, never mind, never mind. What else can we do with it? But that's the thing, though. Disney always does that with all of its projects. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it happens even to this day. So, like something's in the pipeline. And they're just waiting because, like, like when you get – like, again, it's the thing that nobody understands about Disney is that, like, you just don't go to them with a good idea. And they're like, okay, let's do it. You have to prove that it will benefit all divisions of the company. Exactly. You have to prove that you can make, like, a video game off of it, a theme park attraction, merchandise, uh, oh, God, social media attention. You have to prove it can do all these different things before it gets greenlit. Yep. It's not just simply good idea. Go with it. Let's hope for the best. And that's the thing. Cause like even like – this is another part of the thing that I always found fascinating was that like in Disneyland, there was a submarine voyage, and there was go- – they were going – that got closed. I want to see it say in 98, but it was going to be retooled to be the Atlantis ride, and then Atlantis bombs, <laughs> yeah. and pretty much it stays defunct until Finding Nemo, and then it gets re- – like it gets like redeveloped as the Finding Nemo ride. OK, OK. I read there about that even... not being Atlantis. I didn't know it turned into Finding Nemo, but that makes perfect sense. They're just like, what underwater template can we fit this into? Exactly, and then like it goes back to there was going to be another Atlantis ride at Disney World where the former Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea ride was going to be. Okay, and that was going to be like something like I want to say like Fire Mountain, and that was going to be a big thing about like escaping blah 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 like the lava. And guess what? It bombs and it gets canceled. Yep, and it even goes to the Lone Ranger that like like as much as like Rob did, did not like that film in twenty thirteen, I think that <laughs> film is like an insane masterpiece. Oh, the Chinaman? You like the Chinaman? <laughs> <laughs> no, Rob. I like the zombie jackalopes. Like, just like, like the genocide. Like, I love everything about that movie. Like, I've not watched The Lone Ranger in a while. I cannot wait for the time we revisit it for this recording because, oh man, 
I, I just probably me to talk about me talking about the Lone Ranger is probably at least half the reason why this podcast exists. And we will have more uh, by the time we do talk about that. We will probably have more info on how Army Hammer is a cannibal that we can revisit as well. <laughs> exactly. Who would have thought that Army Hammer was the inspiration for the uh, cannibalistic jackalope in, in the film? Yeah, and I'm sure we're going. Thinking of Army Hammer projects, I'm sure we're going to do Lone Ranger before we do something like The Man from Uncle. So I guess Lone Ranger it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like, no, that's the thing about Disney though, is that like, they just go through like everything has, everything has a level. Yeah. Nothing is oh, yeah. just simply every division of the company gets to stick its stick its fingers in the pie. And it's nothing sort of a miracle when they turn out a film that's genuinely good. Sure, sure. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because you mentioned video games in there. And I, I loved at the end of the credits for Atlantis. You see it says – well, after it says uh, – it says remembering our friend Jim Varney after the special thanks section. And then imme- almost immediately after that, it says Atlantis the Lost Empire trial by fire multiplayer CD-ROM game available now. <laughs> yes. And I looked into that. Uh, apparently there were three Atlantis video games and they all got terrible yep. reviews. <laughs> well, they're, but they were just like they were disposable, like yeah. promotional. Like yeah, they were absolutely. not meant to be anything. They were just – again, they were meant to tie in. They were I tie-ins. tried to find an emulator for the Trial by Fire multiplayer CD-ROM game and I could not find one that oh, – I mean, lost. What a loss I for know, mankind. It's so bum it's such a bummer. Um but I, I couldn't find one that I could just like easily play. It would have taken some work and I was like, this is not worth it. But I just I found that such a relic of the times where it's like multiplayer C D ROM game available now. <laughs> Well, I have to ask, what do you think of the promo- the Celine Dion song at the end? Oh, the uh, Where the Dream Takes You? I think that it should be played in reverse at the end of this episode. <laughs> it's so funny is that like, it's perfect like early 2000s pop nostalgia. Oh, like, yeah. It, yeah. It does not tie in at all to the movie, but like as a relic of this era of like pop music – I was just like I'm like like injected into my veins. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like just it was delightful. It's a it, it's exactly the thing we talked about with Pearl Harbor. That's what the uh, the I'll be there for you, whatever the hell that song was called. They always needed this. <laughs> Where does the dream take you, Zach? I think that's the question. Does it take you to Atlantis? Because it takes me to the Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, but yeah, I, I I heard that and I started laughing. I'm just like, of course, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's a. I mean, like I said, it's a. It's a. It's an interesting, well, enjoyable watch. The the interesting uh, stuff about the voice acting and, and animation. Like I said, I love that Leviathan attack sequence. I just wish it was better. I just wish it was better. I wish Jim Varney had more to do. I wish Jim Varney was still alive as well. So I'm biased. There. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah, do have just... to say I like that on um the the IMDb the cast and crew page it lists all those writers like you know Joss Whedon is and Joss Whedon's in the credits as well and it lists like what the four writers but the IMDb page under um writing credits also says Plato uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! But yeah, this is a it's 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 a it's a I know sometimes I've said the word like something's like painfully blank, mm-hmm. but this is like uh, this is like in a uh, oh God it's uh, it's painfully bland. 
This is a painfully bland film considering what it what its subject matter is. Yeah, I I know I hear where you're coming from. I don't know if I'd go far as painfully bland. I think Men in Black International was painfully bland. This was a this was more just like I can get through it bland. Where it's a little this was a little better than Men in Black International. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that but that's not saying much. Though. I know. There's not there's not a huge like, you know, it's 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 that part of the list when all the things start to blend together. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. It's like this is like the definition of a forgettable movie. Yeah. But but Zach, fewer songs, more explosions. Which was both like a benefit and a detriment to the film. Because when you think of more explosions in a movie, like with Michael Bay last week, you think of more memorable, right? <laughs> Actually, I would love to see Michael Bay like take on a musical. Like, I think that'd be oh, fun. Oh my god, yes, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> like, like, as like a genre bending of a director, yeah, I'd love to see him do a musical. I'd be like, okay, like Michael Bay's doing a musical. Why not? So <laughs> pain and gain should have been a musical. <laughs> or we get yeah, another sure. Terminator. Uh, what was it we were talking? Robo Apocalypse should be a musical, and there should be a whole number about Romeo and Juliet loss. <laughs> oh my god! Don't give them ideas. Don't give them ideas. He Rob. has that idea already. He's had that idea since he was born, or he's had that idea since he was nineteen, having sex with a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> oh my god! That's a thing that happens, folks. That's a thing that <laughs> movie stops dead in its tracks to explain an underage romance. Oh god. <laughs> All right, Rob, with that being said, are you ready to get into our questions? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Um, Cinemodities, no. I don't think there's anything odd about this. I think you said it pretty well with the, the blandness just now. But it's, like I said, it's enjoyable, though. And I think for the reason that it is bland, yet enjoyable, and there's certain aspects that I absolutely love about this movie, the animation and stuff like that. I My answer to Late Night, I think the best way to put it is, like, a shrug? Like, eh? Like I yes, can't really exactly. I can't think of any reason to say no or yes. <laughs> I would say no. I th- I still think it's 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 bland. So it's like no. Like it's like this isn't yeah, it's just eh. It's like no. Like, I, I mean, eh, no. there's there's no reason for me to say no, but at the same time like I I, I can't say yeah. I'm in this weird neutral zone where it's like I, I guess it would fall into the no category if there's no good reason for yes then because, of course, as we talk about late night and what it means to us, you know, it's like you want to experience it with people. You want to have some conversation from it. You want to expose people to this thing. This doesn't fit any of those – any of the, it doesn't tick any of those boxes. But at the same time, I mean, it's like it's, it's good fun. It's easy viewing. But I guess I should say no then because there's a lot of stuff we've watched that's good fun, easy viewing that doesn't fit a late night movie. I like don't even want to go as far to do like what you said with like the nightmare sequence in Batman v Superman. I love the Leviathan attack sequence, but I don't think there's anything to gain from showing that to anybody else. Like I love it as a piece of animation and the way they cut everything together. I think that's great, but there's nothing really there to latch onto other than it's like, oh, I'll watch it. Like it's it's not like a great scene that I'm gonna rewatch. Like like the that when Speed Racer crosses the finish line at the end of Speed Racer. That's a great scene that's worth rewatching. I don't think I'm going to be like, oh, now I got to watch the Leviathan Tack in Atlantis or anything like that. So I guess I'll go no for both of them. I think that's what I've reached. But my when I was making my notes, I was kind of like, eh, like does this even apply to this movie? <laughs> exactly. I think it's okay. I'm going to say no to Cinemati and late night movie, but it's it's an apathetic no. It's like eh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, if somebody is like keeping their list, uh, their own version of the spreadsheet for Cinemodies and Late Night, you know, maybe they'd be like, well, Rob and Zach said no, but I might throw this on there. And that's, that's fine. If you, 
if you have some nostalgia for this and you want to show it to people, like I'm a, I'm a great example of I had never seen this movie till a few days ago. Maybe if there's someone who really likes it, they'd be like, oh, they find someone who hasn't seen it. Oh, you really got to check this out. Fine, fine. For your own personal late night movie, this is one that I think Rob gives you permission. Where compared to something like Doctor Sleep, I give you no permission to use that as a late night movie. We're putting our foot down for that. This one is free reign. <laughs> well, I have a question though. Is there any reason to recommend this movie beyond nostalgia? No, not not really. <laughs> exactly. Just exactly. I would say recommend if you like animation, watch the Leviathan attack scene, and if you like. Uh, character animation watch the helga scenes well the helga scene at the end i would think her fighting commander rourke is really cool and then just watch some of the audrey scenes because the way audrey moves is a very interesting piece of animation but but yeah it's that once again it's that i like bits of it it doesn't come together so i I would to answer your question i'd say no it's a nostalgia factor thing and maybe this falls into one where if you have nostalgia for it you should revisit it maybe this will hold up like we said with shrek if you really like shrek because of nostalgia I think if you watch that again, you're going to hate it. If you love it, you're a fool and convincing yourself otherwise that, that you love it. It's this weird Stockholm Syndrome thing because of the internet. This might actually hold up for some people. Where like, I liked it when I was a kid. It's still pretty fun to me. I'm fine with that. I'm very fine with this movie. <laughs> it's, like I said, there's something to get mad about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's what I mean where it's painfully bland. Okay, it's I, just I understand. Like, it's, yeah. bland, it's bland to a fault, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Oh, sure, sure. Okay, I guess then that brings us to snacks. Oh, boy. I think that um, one of the things that I saw in this movie, I talked about a little bit. I love that Milo gets a message by pneumatic tube. Why don't we have some pneumatic tubes in the restaurant? Oh, God, oh, God. (laughs) And maybe we could even use the pneumatic tubes not only just to send messages, but maybe to deliver some food as well. Like, maybe... A table is so far from the caviar glory hole that we have to put some caviar in one of those pneumatic tube containers and ship it off to a table. How cool would it be to get a pneumatic tube container thing filled with a liquid? (laughs) The customer's like, how do I open this? (laughs) It's the bank, people. It still exists. Pneumatic tubes are still a thing. That's probably the best part. Yes, yes. Pneumatic tubes are not archaic just yet. Exactly. I also do like that Milo, his uh, his receptacle in his boiler room, his basement office or whatever it is, where he receives the pneumatic tube messages, he has a tiki mask like over it. That's a really cool design. I thought that was neat. Um, But speaking of beverages or liquids, I totally think that we should have a nitroglycerin drink in the restaurant because, of course, uh, Vinny Santorini and Mole, they they get Milo to think he drank nitroglycerin. And and watching this movie very close to Sorcerer, I was like, there's something going on here. I know, right? There was a lot because even there's one point where they're like traversing what the uh, the rope bridge, yes, like on trucks, yeah. and I'm like, is it like I'm like, did we unintentionally plan this? Yeah, it is, was very. Is there strange. something to this that I'm not aware of? So I totally think we should just have straight up nitroglycerin as a drink. I'm totally Good. on board with that. Perfect. And then I think my only other food, well, pneumatic tubes was kind of food related. My only other actual food thing, of course, we get the line from Cookie in this movie where he says the four basic food groups are beans, bacon, whiskey, and lard. <laughs> I would love to have a meal that you know has those separate on a dish or combines them in some way. But since those are the four basic food groups, that's a fact that those are the basic food groups, I think that we should have like a – a nutritional info lesson in the Sin E portion of the restaurant 
that talks about beans, bacon, whiskey, and lard to the children, that those are the four basic food groups, and maybe we come up with, like, the Cinemodities food pyramid. Maybe it's not a pyramid. Maybe we call it something else that, that teaches children that, you know, every day they need their serving of beans, they need their serving of bacon, they need their serving of whiskey, and they need their serving of lard. What do you think? I think that's that's completely understandable. I also have always loved and will always love the concept of just lard as a food. <laughs> lard. I, I love that idea. <laughs> Where it's like, what do you use lard for? Like as a, as like a, an oil or a fat to cook things in? Nope. Just give me a carton full of lard. I'm gonna lard. eat it like like somebody eating ice cream while they watch Sleepless in Seattle. I'm gonna just gonna go down on some lard while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> That it's basically our, in the cinema, these restaurant lard is our substitute for mayonnaise. <laughs> yes, I like that. Oh, lard. <laughs> and I guess speaking of that, we should mention I love at the end when they're leaving Milo in Atlantis. Cookie gives them all the bacon grease from the trip. I thought that was pretty funny where it's just like here's all this bacon grease. Like you said, it is a bummer that Jim Varney has nothing to do and that character just loves grease. But I love where he's just like as like an endearing thing. He's like, here's this bacon grease. I was going to use it, but you need it more in Atlantis. Exactly. <laughs> Good fun. Good fun. Um, that was I – have, I have a few other snacks. Those are only food ones. Did you have any food for the restaurant? Oh, uh, food-wise for the restaurant – I'm trying to think. There isn't really like a lot of super interesting food in this. Mm-hmm. Like, food, like my suggestion was like, considering that we power an infinite void, we need a power device to sit there. Pa- think about how do you power in an infinite void? Okay. So I okay. think we should use Kida as a power device in her like like what steel sarcophagus. Mm, okay, I can get behind that. Um, and then maybe when we have unruly customers or bad employees we hit him with that shard of glass that hit turn commander work into a rock i don't know lava, i don't know what titan it is. Lava, thing? <laughs> lava, lava golem golem like, I, I yeah. Know, <laughs> yeah i i don't know like that's one of those ones where i'm just like i i, I maybe we don't do that cause we don't want that either sure sure well, okay i can get behind that we have some some another form of power would be uh keeping somebody who has been fused with an energy crystal captive and we use them as an energy source i'm totally on board with that <laughs> good i i also liked that um we get the we get two i think it happens twice where dr sweet basically does uh the embellished version of chiropractic on milo by cracking his neck so i was thinking that maybe we should have because we have some other like you know lab stuff or medical related stuff maybe we have like a chiropractor type of thing in our somewhere in the restaurant where we just crack the shit out of people <laughs> like We're chiropractors now raw uh, well well the thing is uh, this also made me think of there's that uh, another simpsons reference there's where homer opens his own chiropractor business in the garage, and he throws people onto a dented trash can. Do you remember this episode? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And yeah. there's a joke in that movie where whatever the setup is, Homer, he, like, kinks his back or whatever, and he goes to a chiropractor, and the chiropractor, the doctor starts explaining what he's going to do to Homer, and Homer says to the doctor, less yapping, more cracking. Cracking, yep. And then the chiropractor says, well, we actually don't crack your back and stuff like that. And then he puts his hands on Homer to perform the procedure, and he goes, now you're about to hear a loud cracking noise. so i was thinking maybe we would have like our own chiropractor business or or part in the restaurant like you know we have our main street with like our hall of directors and there's some other crazy shit in there that i'm not remembering we have a chiropractor thing in there but it doesn't really help anybody we are just literally like cracking people (laughs) (laughs) 
I just I just thought that was fun where it's just like, you know, you just someone's like, oh, man, my neck's a little stiff for something else in the restaurant caused my neck to be stiff. And we just have someone like just like snap their neck or something right. like that and then go, that'll be four hundred dollars, please. <laughs> the other one that I was thinking of, I don't think it's come up in a long time and I didn't look at the spreadsheet to confirm this, but I think at a certain point we mentioned something about having other installments like like other franchise installments of the Cinemodities restaurant places. Does this sound familiar? Like franchise? Yeah, franchise. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. It hasn't been in a long time, but I think we've talked about that. I was thinking, what if we had a Cinemodities restaurant, like a satellite thing, in Atlantis? Like wherever Atlantis is in the real world, we set up an establishment of the restaurant in Atlantis. And... You know, maybe it's not big, maybe it's not Infinite Void. I don't know what Atlantis in real life is dealing with. We haven't, like, scouted it out or anything like that. I guess we should also say no one from Atlantis has reached out to us to start a franchise there. But maybe if they don't have an Infinite Void, it's something more like like an airport version of the Cinemonides restaurant or something like that. But in Atlantis. I was thinking, what better place to have a, a franchise of the restaurant than in a sunken city slash island slash continent? <laughs> I think that's good. I think that's a clever idea. And then that way, we would be able to get some revenue from this franchise, and then this opens the door of we get to talk about, like, well, what would we, as us, as Cinemodities Corporate, what would we demand that this franchise of the restaurant do and things like that? And I think that'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) Something Mm. to bring up at our next business meeting with Mark Cuban, if Mark Cuban still comes to our business meetings. (laughs) Yes. That was it. That was it for my restaurant stuff. Did you have any others? Nope, this is a power source. Okay, okay. And that's always good. We do need something like that. I I know we have other power sources, but we can always add more. So I am totally on board. I guess that brings us to, uh, well, I already said how we're going to end the episode with where the dream takes you in reverse. Uh, What the hell are we doing next week? Because... I'm like, I'm like, Zach, let's start doing some recording. And Zach was like, I shuffled the deck around. I changed release dates for you, Rob. And I was like, okay, I guess. So what the hell is next week now? Is it I Shrek again? What, is that what's going on? It's, it's No, Rob, it's not Shrek again. It's still Shrek. It's still Shrek. Okay. No, I think, what's next week? Angelina Jolie raids some tombs? Is that what we're doing? Yes, we are doing uh, the movie by Warner Brothers where she helps a little child. A Terminator 2, but with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Isn't that movie called, like, I Wish Death on You or something, or Wish Me Dead or something like that? I, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. That's, That's a, a title of it. trailer I've skipped every single time it's popped up. <laughs> I saw that in front of a movie, and I was just like, I don't care. Like, I know Warner Brothers is real. Oh, Those Who Wish Me Death. Those Who Wish Me Death. Okay, I was dead, close. Okay. Dead, dead. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> but yes, next week is Lara Croft, Raider of the Tombs. Okay. The um, first starring one, Starring Alicia right? Vikander. Yeah, starring okay. Alicia Vikander. Oh, that's the third one, isn't it? <laughs> no, Rob. It's, ten- it's like Terminator. It's the first one. They want us to ignore Angelina Jolie. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that yeah. that should be good. That one I'm going to have more context with. I actually saw that in theaters, uh, and I have mm. some context with the Tomb Raider games, so that'll be good. And we get to finally talk about Angelina Jolie, who apparently, because of this movie, is still relevant. I didn't think she was anymore, but go figure. <laughs> go figure. And then we talk – oh, man. God, it's so exciting. We're looking through the spreadsheet. So exciting <laughs> as we are truly in the summer of 2000. I did I did see that you moved Rat Race up, and I was very happy about that. <laughs> yes. Rat Race is now mid-August as opposed to late-August. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
yes, uh, very, very excited about that. So, yes, uh, we will do that next week, and we will play uh, some Where the Dream Takes You in reverse. And uh, I, I think that's it. I think we've we've found Atlantis. We've passed through it. It can stay down there it's, for all that. It's, I it's no longer a lost empire. It's just the empire. Yes, yes. Atlantis, the Chupacabra Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> my